And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you in our uh, listening audience. Stan the Fan, along with the one and only Craig Heist on uh, this 20th of October. That's the second time this week somebody's introduced me like that. Like like what? The one and only. Oh. Like there's well. somebody else or something. <laughs> There is nobody yeah, like you. Exactly. How yeah. are you? I'm great. How you doing? I'm I'm doing well. Uh, are you surprised uh, where we are in these two baseball series? You surprised that Boston was able to win in like a what a four game sweep after yeah losing after game losing one? yeah I was and uh, again like I told you at the beginning uh, it it was not necessarily front and center on my mind that Jose Altuve was injured and basically... I didn't know he was injured at all. Basically, uh, you know, relegated the designated hitter uh, for the games. And, and I, you know, I, again, I think a combination of a couple of things, you know, both offenses are good offensive clubs. Number yeah, one, both no teams, question about that. Both offensive clubs are pretty good. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, like I tell people, and and people look at me like I have two heads a lot of times, or six, or whatever. You can slump for four games or five games in the postseason, just like you can in the middle of June or July. The only thing is, right now, it's more magnified. That's what happened to the Astros. You know, they didn't come up with clutch hits at timely times when they needed to. Well, there's no question their offense went on a bit of snooze control, but not not nearly the way the Dodgers offense or the Brewers offense is uh, playing. What I find most curious is, and to me it's pretty interesting, I do, do I know every single injury that's going on or anything like that in baseball? No. But two of the most important members of the, um, of the Astros bullpen, to me, were Brad Peacock last yeah. year and Colin McHugh this year for the first, and both of them pitched exceedingly well, especially McHugh, till about August 1st. And then both of them kind of faded. I did the numbers the other night when I was on the Mass and Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, and I had the numbers in my hand. And all of a sudden in September, a guy they brought up, this Josh James, who can throw, throw the ball lights out, but who pitched in the playoffs – to a 7.71 ERA, he not only jumped in front of Colin McHugh, who was at least active, uh, Brad Peacock wasn't even active. Right. And it seemed to me that their bullpen was the biggest culprit. Uh, and to me, I saw a little bit of disloyalty by A.J. Hinch, and I think it was partly because both McHugh and and I'll even throw in a third pitcher who didn't even pitch in the series, Davinsky. Right. So the three of them, between the three of them, they got superseded by Josh James, and I think Hinch made a, a poor decision. 
Yeah, pretty much. And, uh, I, well, you know what? I'm not it's, saying he made a not, poor decision for the next three years. No. But in this but, short series. Right. Where the margin for error is a lot less than it is. I got to go with the veteran guys. Sure, absolutely. And, uh, again, one of the things about what uh, they're doing with Milwaukee and Craig Council is, you know, now if you're an Orioles fan, do you expect to get 10 and a third or whatever it is out of Wade Miley in three postseason games, even though one of them was just a batter of, of giving up only two runs? I'll go one step further. I think if you're a Diamondbacks fan, a Red Sox fan, a Mariners fan, or an <laughs> Orioles fan, you're not expecting that. No, you're not. But, you know, but again, if you look, but what at, we if you saw, look at Miley's numbers. But, but what we saw is the reason for smart baseball people. DePoto, uh, Ben Charrington, yeah. or was it Ben Charrington that picked him up? But but four smart GMs picked him up because they thought he could he could pitch he, like he this. could pitch and could help. And here's the other thing about it: if you look at his numbers throughout his career, he's his, his numbers are much different pitching in the National League as opposed to the American Good, League. Excellent point, no question about it. So we are where we are. The Red Sox sit and wait. Uh, and now we have a game seven, which is the what are they, the best words in sports? Yeah, uh, game, game seven uh, tonight in Milwaukee. Uh, I expected Rayu to outpitch Miley last night, so you see what I know. But again, the night if you before, know, if you know what what Miley's done so far in this series and in the postseason. Yeah, I expected him to revert back to being the Wade Miley <laughs> that I'm used to seeing. I don't know. Excuse me for thinking that now. Just as curious to me was on Thursday night, I was on with Rob Long, and Rob Long was, matter of fact, uh, well, this series is closed out now. And I said, Rob, you really think that with David Price pitching against Verlander? Mm -hmm. And uh, you could have bowled me over with a, a grain of wheat or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I, David Price pitched one of the better games I've ever seen him pitch. He really had the um, Houston Astros off kilter. Entirely, he did, and uh, give him a lot of credit. I had to make him feel very good because uh, you know you head into this series where all of the Red Sox starters combined had not won a postseason game, uh, you know, or into this postseason. All the starters, yeah, right. All the starters, and then all of a sudden, you know, Chris Sale comes up and and is the Chris Sale that a lot of people expect, but. You're right about David Price. You know, it's we we know what you do in the regular season. Show me in the postseason, and he finally winds up doing that and pitching a game that really for him and the Red Sox was as clutch as it gets. Yeah, and I got to tell you something. I've made a point because we do a segment on Mid Atlantic Sports Report. Notice how I've thrown that in about three or four yeah, times. Yeah, I mean, and keep in mind, I've been on that show many, many I times. I know that. Okay. I know that, yeah. yeah. I think I'm the last uh, Mohican, last of the Mohicans. Anyway, um, it's, it's, it's really... <laughs> like Elizabeth Warren or what? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Let's leave that okay, out Okay, good enough. Um, but but uh, we argued, uh, you know, he thought the thing was over, and I said... With David Price, really, his postseason? And then we do a segment at the end called, What Are You Watching? And I said, I'm watching what I talked about about 20 minutes ago, whether or not David Price can pitch up to how much money he's making. Right. He's a $30 million pitcher. When Dave Dombrowski signed him, was it a seven-year deal? Uh, yeah, six or seven-year yeah. deal, yeah. And I think this is, what, the second year of it? So they got five more years of this. They better get a lot more games like that. Right. Uh, but... It's very simple, as Charlie Ekman used to say, Craig. 
It's a very simple ball game. If Sale and Price pitch up to their capabilities, they will win the World Series. Well, yeah, because of what they do offensively, yeah. and, and you know, number one, number one, number one, besides the pitching of Sale and Price, and, and Mookie Betts is the MVP in this league. And you could you could argue about J.D. Martinez, and and I get it, and and I'm a J.D. Martinez fan. Mm-hmm. But when when you think about what Mookie Betts brings to the table and that throw from right field, and, and I and I know it's you know postseason's got nothing to do with the awards, but everything he, his total overall game to me, you know, earns him the MVP in the American League. Well, unfortunately, because I really don't understand in this day and age uh, how complicated it would be, Craig. To tabulate the votes much later, mm-hmm. you know. In other words, wh- when did writers turn in their MVP ballots? Like the fifteenth of September? Yeah, or it can go right down to the wire. Okay, but it, but they can't do it now. No, no, no. Okay, can't how do it complicated now. in the, this electronic age? Well, maybe the Russians are hacking. But how complicated would it be for all the writers to turn in their votes like October fifteenth? or October 20th, so some of what everybody's seeing of these players has a little bit of a carryover Well, effect. that's true, but by the same token, it's not supposed to be. It's about what you did in the regular season. It's not about what you do in the postseason, and and your your awards are based off the regular season. Right. So that's why none of the postseason stuff has any bearing whatsoever on the voting uh, for Cy okay. Young, for MVP, for Rookie well, of the Year. my point is the... the Bet's case would be elevated a great deal if the postseason. Oh, there's no included. question, no question. You know. But I, I just think, I just think in general, he was, he's just, he's the best player I'm, in the league during the regular season. I'm on as well. the other side of that because I think Martinez made it, Martinez's presence there made him a better offensive player and made that lineup. Much yeah, more but Mookie, dangerous. Mookie was doing this before JD got there. Okay, was he, he really? Yeah, yes, he was. Was he really? Yeah. Okay, go back uh, over the numbers. He hadn't had a season like quite. He like hasn't this. had a season like, but that whole yeah. everybody around him. Yeah. When they lost David Ortiz, that team was not the same team for a couple of years. Okay, and they had JD Martinez, and suddenly everybody's numbers around them are going up. Look, I will, will I have a problem if Mookie Betts is the MVP and you're right and I'm wrong? Well, actually, yeah, I would have a problem with that. No, all yeah, kidding aside. Yeah, ha- but it's happened so many times in the past. <laughs> why would he get upset about that? But all kidding aside, if Betts is the MVP, so be it. I'm on the other side of the argument. I think Martinez has made his presence has made that lineup much better. Now, again, if we're talking about the best player in the league, you know when you when you add on all the other things he does, the way he runs the bases, the way he throws the ball, the way he fields. I mean, he's one of the greatest right fielders I've ever seen. Right. I mean, he's right up there with like a Roberto Clemente. Uh, uh, you know, in terms of playing right field, so he's a wonderful ball. And, player. and he plays. And the thing yeah. about him doing what he does is in Fenway, he plays probably the biggest field in that ballpark. No question about it. No question about it. One of the things though that is was quite remarkable about the Boston Red Sox that we got to witness up close and personal this postseason is their outfield defense. It is a difference maker for that ball club because they do play, forget the left field in Fenway, which gets all the reputation, but center field and right field, there's a huge expanse of property out there. And if those guys are shading over a little bit, 
that means that Benintendi's kind of alone on an island a little bit. Well, Jackie Bradley's as good as anybody else in center field, too. No question about it. No question about it. That's my point. Yeah. Is those three Bs are something else defensively. Yeah, so. and you know, give Benatendi all, all the credit in the world for making that catch the other night because if that ball gets by him on a gamble to yeah, dive and catch win the it, game. Houston, you know, wins, Houston the game. wins the game. And, and then we're looking, we're talking about something totally different probably this morning. Yep. Uh, were you surprised to see Kimbrell in that game? I mean, the way he pit, the, the two innings saved the night before he was like on running on fumes, and none of us had him coming into the game on uh, Thursday night. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of surprised. And, but you know and, what? And he looked- Kimbrell was as automatic as there could be, as anybody could be when he was with the Braves in the National League. Mm-hmm. And ever since he left then, he can be had. Right. And, he, and, you know, a lot of times with some of the pitchers you have to face when you're facing that team, I'm – I'm saying if you've got a one or two run deficit heading into the ninth, you've you've still you've got, got a, a shot. Chance, yeah, yeah, absolutely, no question about it. So now, to that, your point, Mookie Betts in 16, yeah, playing 158 games, yeah, 31 homers, 113 RBI, right? Okay, and then the year that they didn't have Poppy, 24 homers and 102 RBI, right. and that was also the year I had him on my fantasy team. Well, well that's fine, yeah. but 24 and 102 should have gotten you something, right? I would think get you a nice contract the next year. That's right. not an MVP uh, season. Right, he did have a great season, but again, everybody uh, he's had two great seasons in a row. Right, and and the talent from last year on that team wasn't nearly what it was is is this year with everyone he you know that surrounds. Yeah, including J.D. Martinez. Well, exactly. Okay. But but I'm just saying, I've got problems doing that with a D.H. I'm sorry. Big Poppy never won the MVP when he was the D.H. in terms of that ball club, in, you know, overall. I've got... Big you know, Poppy never won an MVP. Big Poppy did win an MVP, okay. but I'm just saying, in the last few years... Didn't he just say that Big Poppy never won an MVP I'm going MVP back to your DA. point of Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez right. being J.D. Martinez is the reason that Mookie Betts is good. And I'm, I'm not, I didn't say he's the reason Mookie right, Betts well, is good. Well, Mookie good. Betts I just put words Mookie in your Betts, mouth. But Mookie Don't Betts is pretty good. Don't put words in my mouth. My words are bigger than your words. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I have bigger words, and I have 25-cent words. You got nickel and dime words. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, okay, that's what enough. it is. All right. Uh, we're going to make our connection right now uh, to the referee. Rockabotko is going to join us. It's amazing. It's yes. amazing when you think about Mookie Betts and hitting 346 this year. The RBI total, even with 32, is at 80. It was 80 for the regular season. In what season? This year? Yeah. 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 That's hard. Yeah, see, that's hard for me to give an MVP. And how many uh, uh, RBIs did Martinez have? Well, he's, yeah. one eighteen, something fifteen. Like yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see. <clears throat> Listen, if I'm if I'm asking uh, or if I'm predicting who will win it, I think Mookie Betts will probably win it. Uh, but I, I, to me, JD. Can Martinez. we agree that both players are very important? I'd like important to have either to one of them. I'd like <laughs> to have either one of them on the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah. That's for damn certain. All right. Um, we've got the one and only. Yeah, and this is a guy that you know. Throughout my career, I've kind of lived vicariously through. <laughs> oh, you mean you mean <laughs> Rock, like yes. to look like him no. and have muscles like, like exactly, him. Exactly. The yeah. whole the whole nine yards. Yeah. Joining us right now is uh, from uh, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, the man from Masson Sports, and that's Masson Rockabotko. Rock, how are you? 
right, stick to baseball, Heist. Uh, you know, that, you know when you were out there in the gym all those years, you know, Ginsburg and I were in pizza parlors. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks for saying I was only in a gym. That's right. That's good. That's good. I'll, I'll keep it right there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Rock, we're we're having our argument. A big surprise on the show. Uh, in your estimation, is Betts or Martinez the AL MVP this year? I think it's got to be Betts, based on what he's doing defensively as well as as at the plate. I think overall he's the best player in baseball, and and it is it is interesting because Martinez is putting up those kind of numbers, like triple crown numbers. Yet we're saying he's probably not the MVP, but I think it really. I mean, Buck has said Betts is the best right fielder he's ever seen. And I remember writing that, and people were like, are you kidding me? And they yeah. started naming all these other great right fielders. Well, but stands- what he does in right field at Fenway Park, I mean, that is not an easy place to play. He makes no. it look easy and what he's doing at the plate. Well, I, I just think Betts is the guy. And Stan just said, you know, he, he, he kind of likens him to Roberto Clemente in a lot of ways. And I, well, I said, and that's some pretty high praise at that, you know. And I agree with you. Well, with the arm strength yeah. and the uh, width that he's able to cover, he's just remarkable, you know. Look, he really is, and that's why this, you know, this team is just. I was amazed that they all of a sudden were kind of characterized as an underdog against the Astros, and it's like everybody seemed to be picking Houston. I'm like, I don't know, man. It wasn't Boston the best team in baseball all year? Yeah, but you know what? Winning in five games. If they win in five games, but like Stan said, there's some things with their pitching staff that was a little different this postseason than than last postseason, plus the fact, as you well know, having covered this game for as long as all of us have, that you can slump for four or five games in the postseason as a team just like you can in the middle of the season. The only thing is this is much more magnified, uh, you know, from that standpoint. But I didn't know Altuve was hurt to the point where he could only DH and not play in the field. That, to me, at the beginning of this series, uh, you know, changed, changed perspective a little bit. It did, and his teammates respect him so much because there's no way he wasn't going to play. And I still, I still saw him get a base hit up the middle where I'm like, you know, a lot of guys would have trouble being on the field right now, and this guy still can, can swing the bat. But my concern with the Red Sox is Kimbrell. I don't yeah. know how trustworthy this guy is in the ninth inning where you bring him in now, and so far so good as far as the Red Sox advancing. But to me, that's kind of the Achilles heel is what you're going to get from him because we've seen him struggling down the stretch. and He's been very shaky even when he's getting saves. But, you know, the Red Sox, too, that's a team that's getting breaks. I mean, the fan interference call on uh, the, the ball, but Beth, you know, leaping into the stands, was, was it in the seats? Was it not? Did a fan reach over? Uh, you know, that, that was a break that they caught there because I don't think we ever got a really good angle. And, of course, if the ball is in the seats, the fan has every right to it. Yeah. And I think we all agree that, that they've got to do something in Major League Baseball to put more, more ballparks having a space between the fence and the fans, this isn't an issue, and they can't reach over. All right, well, you know, down in Nats Park, they have the, the flower bed between the left field wall and the seats, but the left field wall in Nats Park is is so much higher yeah. than, than the right that's field wall. That's not an issue. Yeah. At, at M&T, I mean, I'm sorry, at Minute Maid Park, and that's a difference maker there. But the other part of it is, you know, Rock, the ironic thing about all that the other night for as good as Joe West was the night before behind the plate, maybe the best game I've ever seen him call, balls and strikes-wise, then he goes out and screws up a call like that in right field. <laughs> Just when you start to feel a little better yeah, about yeah, Joe exactly. West. <laughs> you know, with Joe West behind the plate, a lot of times I think it depends on his dinner reservation. Well, that, you know, that's true. Really to be out there. <laughs> We're talking with Rock Kabatko of Mass and Sports. Rock, um, one of the most interesting things to me – 
because I think A.J. Hinch is a very good manager. And when these these teams that are really good, like the Astros and the Red Sox, all throughout the regular season, the one thing to be that good, you're going to use up some of your arms and your bullpens. And I found it fascinating that a guy that didn't pitch for Houston until September 1st this year ended up displacing Brad Peacock on the postseason roster uh, in that series. I think it was even against Cleveland as well, and seemed to replace Colin McHugh. It seemed, in looking at both of their numbers, that both of them were fantastic, McHugh and Peacock, until about August 1st, and then their numbers were vastly different and led to a little bit of disloyalty by A.J. Hinch that changed the dynamics of that bullpen. Yeah, that's a bit of a gamble, and I'll admit when I saw the replacement, I was like, wait, who is this guy? I was scrambling to do my research. Uh, You don't see that very often. You're right. Usually you you dance with who brung you, so uh, I was a little surprised to see that. McHugh, though, that shows the depth of the Astros where this guy is in their bullpen, and if he was in Baltimore, he'd probably be a number two or three starter. (laughs) You know, I mean, that says if you you have a, a, a surplus of starters, you can put that guy in the bullpen. I think the Orioles actually liked him last off season, but there wasn't, you know, the Astros held on to him, but I kind of wonder now, hey, would he be available again? I, I would gladly take him and put him in a rotation. I mean, it's, but again, it it's, must be nice to be able to take a, a starter like that and say, now we're going to pitch you in relief now. And you see a lot of the really good teams that are able to do that, including the Red Sox, where they have guys that, you know, like Eduardo Rodriguez, are right, we'll use you in relief now and other teams that have him, you know, near the top of the order. Yeah, I mean, the, the the Houston Astros next year, they figure not to have Dallas Keuchel back. And then you wonder of the guys like Morton and McHugh, who will be back out of those? Because remember, they've got that young pitcher, Whitley, uh, who was suspended 50 games this year for some type of drug thing. Uh, but he's considered the best pitching prospect in all of baseball. So have they given up completely on Keuchel? There's no way they bring him back. I don't think they're going to pay the dollars that he can command in free agency. And they've got a tricky decision, don't they? Does Verlander have another year on his contract? I believe that is correct, Okay, okay. Uh, But it'll it'll certainly be. And then Charlie Morton has come out and said, now he wants to pitch again. And I could see some contending teams like the Phillies, you know, the Yankees being very interested in picking up Charlie Morton. Isn't it strange how his career kind of, I don't know, it looked like he wasn't going anywhere, and then all of a sudden he becomes this really, really good pitcher again in Houston. I, I, I think that's interesting. I don't know how much of that is, did the Astros figure out something with him to get the most out of him? Because, well, you know, I thought he was kind of a middling guy at one yeah, point. Yeah, it, it seems like they've done that with a number of people. You know, I, I found, uh, and not to beat up on the Orioles, but – I found the Zach Britton comments about the difference in the analytic output of the front office and what the players had to deal with analytically was really quite eye-opening, wasn't it, Ron? It, it was, although I think of all the guys that have commented on that, Britton is probably the one guy that really doesn't need it. Like, you know, right. what are you going to study yeah, all right. these tendencies? Hey, Zach, throw your sinker. Like, no kidding. He throws one pitch, basically, and that's the one that everybody has trouble hitting, so I don't no matter what the numbers are telling you, Zach, everybody knows what Zach's throwing. The same as Mariana Rivera. I mean, you, right. you know what's coming. You just have to try and hit it. But, yeah, it is still interesting that, that, that you know, there are players coming out and saying, man, these teams are, you know, that I'm on now, or they're doing a lot more with that stuff. And the Orioles are vowing to upgrade their analytics department, which means hiring more than, you know, a couple people. And 
you know, it's kind of my understanding, too, that it's going to involve a lot more than just, like, scouting. I mean, they're, they're going to use this department to kind of branch out a lot of different areas in baseball to, to upgrade, but that's why they really need to start making these hires here. They need that, you know, the president, who's going to be the GM type, whatever the title, who's the manager, coaching staff, because they're, they're revamping that scouting department. That's going to require quite a few hires, and I'm sure anybody they've interviewed has people in mind to say, hey, if I'm, the, if I'm your guy, I'm bringing aboard so-and-so, so-and-so, but you've got to get this moving, especially when there are people out there that are, that are going to be looking for jobs and teams that are looking to fill spots. Rock, let me ask you something about Manny real quick. And uh, I, I know during this postseason, he's not done a whole lot to endear himself, uh, maybe to uh, potential suitors for him in the offseason through free agency. But, you know, the bottom line to it is the guys who have been around him and have covered him here, uh, we, we know that he's a good guy, but, it, you know, he, he's very temperamental at times. But the one thing about it is, and, and we found that out, all of us kind of collectively toward the end of the year, if you went up to say goodbye to him or something similar to that, you know, he told you that he appreciated you and the fact that, you know, we kind of covered him pretty fairly here in Baltimore. And yet I, don't, I, I see some of this stuff going on, and, and more than anything it's that old phrase, it's just not a good look. <laughs> Right. It isn't, and, and you know, back in the day, we would always say it's a maturity issue, and I don't yeah. know what the age cutoff is, which no longer mature. I think you could solve a maturity issue and, have, and be in your we, later 20s, and you're so let's face it, have we, we hit that, have we hit that yet, or what? I mean, boy, this is right in my wheelhouse right now. I'm solving maturity issues in my 50s, so I think that could still be it. And, you know, man's a diva. We know that, and, and you know, I, I don't know. How would I be if I was in his shoes, and I've been, since a very early age, I've been told how great I am, and have gotten so much attention and been the guy and had people making such a fuss over me and the money that I was making at that age. I mean, maybe I'd be the same way. Come but on, that still right. goes on today. <laughs> <laughs> well, true. I, I true. Think... But, you know, it is, you're right. It's not a good look. And I don't know how many teams that's really going to bother. The bottom line is if you think Manny's a really special talent yeah. and is a big difference maker and you've got that money to spend, you probably don't care if he doesn't run out the occasional ground ball or whatever, bad body language, whatever. But I'm sure he already has this reputation he's bringing with him, and then he has this kind of, of showing in the postseason on the big stage the world's watching. I'm sure there are some executives that are going to wonder, okay, what will we be dealing with when we give this guy $300 million or whatever it's going to be? Because I remember there are people in the Oriole organization that were saying that. It's like, man, if you know, if he, he, we, we keep him kind of under control here. Like, Scope was great with him to reel him in once in a while in that clubhouse and this and that. But you send him somewhere else and give him that kind of money – what are you going to have? And and I think Manny, you know, for him to just come out, and he's Manny being Manny. Hey, I'm not going to be Johnny Hustle. It's like, wow, do you really want to announce that? That, is, <laughs> that, that, that was quite, quite staggering to me. It he, was. So even when he's kind of falling on the sword and taking responsibility, he still kind of has that edge to him. So it's not a complete uh, apology or whatever. So, but you, so you, you know what you're going to get with Manny, but he's such a, a great talent, and I still think he's a much bigger difference maker at third base and short but wherever you put him so he's going to get his money but you're right it's not a good look at all and i'm sure there are some teams saying man how big a headache is this going to be we're talking with rock kabatko of mass and sports and we've got him just a few more minutes because he's got to get ready for wall-to-wall baseball and mass and sports this morning rock um getting back to the orioles um clearly john and lewis uh angelos have done a remarkable job 
at keeping this this whole situation kind of close to the vest. Uh, all we know, or, or you know, really all we know is that somebody talked to Ned Coletti like in June, and after that, we don't really know exactly who they're talking to, do we? No, or at least it can't be published, wink, right. wink. Even if yep. we get a name, we can't. Uh, and I'm kind of in that position where it's like, you know, if you have people that, you know, you're hearing some things, but it's way off the record or, you know, there's a possibility it could hurt that person's chances of getting the job. If the name leaks, then you, you can't write it or say it. But uh, they have done a great job. You see all the other teams, whether it's a GM search, managerial search, there are reports every day that end up being collected by MLB trade rumors. And the Orioles, it's been crickets. I mean, there was yep. just... Uh, I think John Heyman keeps saying about you know their interest in Kim, and I think it's pronounced Ang, Ang, NG, Kim the Ang. former Dodger exec, who's in MLB now. But I still say that they're hiring a president of baseball operations first. Yeah. That person will then decide on the GM or whatever we're calling him or her. So you can't go ahead and set up an interview like that if you don't have your president chosen. So that either tells me if it's true that they know who they want or the people who are the finalists for that job all have her on their list of people that they would want. Yep. And therefore, you may as well start you know, getting all your ducks in a row here. But when I checked with somebody initially about the first report on her, I was told it was, quote, baseless, that there was nothing at this point that the Orioles were doing regarding her. But, you know, John's yeah. good. And he has multiple sources, so we'll see. But yeah, It really uh, all comes down to who they pick for that president of baseball operations right. and, and who and that person is. they're not even admitting is. that. They're yeah. not even confirming that. I've just heard from multiple people that's what they're doing. They're not yeah. even going out and confirming, hey, we're going to hire a president. Are you but that is, unless they've made a quick, a real drastic change in thinking, that was the plan. And I would think they've got to be relatively close to, to doing this. I know one reason they're really good, it, it, I'm sure they're not all meeting on site. I'm sure every interview is taking place in the warehouse or down yep. in Little Italy where people are seeing them either. So they've done a good job <laughs> of kind of flying under the radar with this. Uh, we're talking Rocca Baca. We've gotten just for two minutes. Are you surprised, Rock? I know we talked off the air briefly. Um, how the average fan just thinks like, hey, who's going to replace Buck? That, you know, that that's sort of where it begins and ends, and they don't kind of get that the whole thing is being restructured. Right. There isn't a bigger hire to me than the, the top executive position. Yeah. I mean, that's because that person we have been told in the press release and in conversations I've had will be making all these decisions. That person chooses the GM. That person chooses the manager. Uh, you know, this person is going to have their, you know, their fingerprints, their stamp on this rebuild. And I'm sure in every interview, that person has sat down with John and Lewis and said, look, here's my plan. Here's how we're going to do this. And here's how we can keep this franchise uh, in a strong position moving forward. Not just, hey, in a couple of years, we can contend again, but even moving forward well beyond that. And that's going to involve, again, with analytics and improvements in professional and amateur scouting, among other things. And I'm sure that that plan's laid out. So you have to really put a lot of trust in this hire because this person, it's their vision and it's their hires below them. So to me, that's the most important one, except obviously with manager, that's the one that's most visible. That's the per- person that's going to talk every day, pre and post, and you see him in the dugout, in uniform, everything else. But there's nothing more important than that top executive position. No matter how this hierarchy settles itself in, what do you think is the biggest decision they have to make in terms of Chris Davis, the money that is still owed on that contract going forward? And I'm assuming that however this shakes down up above, they're going to have to determine what they want to do in terms of uh, you know, production, money, 
all of those things that surround him, and can you get at least 60% of what Chris Davis used to be? Right. I'm sure every interview, whoever has sat down to talk about this position, has asked, hey, what is your real, actual, firm commitment to Chris Davis? Beyond the contract, we know it's four mm-hmm. more years, Yeah. but what's, what, how much rope does he have here? Because... You know, I'm sure they want to know because he really doesn't. You know, he doesn't fit in a rebuild. That's a square peg in a round hole. So it's like, okay, are, we, are you committed to him for the four more years? Is it three more? Is it one more season? Then we may be willing to eat that contract. Is it the All Star break this year coming up? This next season coming up? I mean, I'm sure they want to get an idea of how much of that contract would you be willing to absorb? Because you know, we heard that term sunk cost, and that's basically what it is now, unless he really turns things around. You're paying them no matter what, and you may as well put in a, insert a player who's going to give you more production than what you're getting here if you're paying that money anyway. But how much of that is ownership willing to absorb? Of course, this was Peter Angelos' contract. He, he negotiated this at the end with Scott Boris, and now that he has stepped back from the day-to-day operations, maybe things change here. Maybe, maybe John and Lou are able to have a different thought of what they're willing to do with that contract. But I'm sure whoever they've sat down and talked to that person has asked, look, how, how, long, how much longer do we have Chris Davis? And, you know, who knows? Maybe something clicks with him over the offseason. Maybe, maybe the adjustments he needs to make, he's willing to stick with instead of bailing as soon as he doesn't get an immediate return for him. And maybe something happens, but we've been, this isn't a one-year thing. We've been waiting for like three years now for him to get back into form, and it hasn't happened. Hey, I know you're, you're in a, on a little bit of a time crunch. I've got to ask you one last thing, and I promise I'll let sure. you go after that. Um, we know it was a little awkward letting Dan Duquette do all the all the heavy lifting from you know June fifteenth to July thirty first, and then till the end of the year, and then to let him go. the The biggest head scratcher of all, and I really question it, is this acquisition of Jack Zoner from the Philadelphia Phillies a 24-year-old Gulf Coast League player where the average age is like 20 to 21 for $750,000 of international slot money. Where does that fit into anything that Dan was trying to accomplish or thought and hoped he'd be around to accomplish? Well, I know Dan's explanation has been that, you know, hey, I said that when, you know, we're going to try and gather more of these bonus slots, but it's not just to sign international players, that you can still use them right. to acquire other players, which they've done in the past. And, you know, I think uh, Chris Lee is an example, and there have been others. I think Jeffrey Ramirez, there have been other examples mm-hmm. uh, that they've done that with. But this particular person doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They like his on-base capabilities, but, I mean, I have not heard anything positive coming <laughs> okay. from, from anybody else it, about it, him. Just I a mean, real head-scratcher as the Marlins moved in front of us in terms of money or, or even with us, and you go, well, boy, it would sure look nice if we had that $750,000 yeah. more to and spend. I, yeah. And I've heard somebody float the theory, maybe they just owed the Phillies a favor, yeah. and that's how you had yeah. to pay them back. Okay, look, because of whatever happened here, we'll go ahead and take this guy off your hands and give you this much. I, I just feel like there had to, there's got to be more to this story than just we like his on-base capabilities. All right. Rock, we appreciate your being on with us. Don't like to bug you too much because I know how busy you are. Hey, uh, no best problem. of luck with everything you got going on right now. Thanks, All right? pal. I appreciate it. All right. There you have it. Rock Kabatko of Mass and Sports. Let's take a time out. 
And to start off that time out, i got to tell you about something that's going on today and tomorrow. If you're looking for something fun to do outside this weekend, Fairhill International's October Festival is a great family event that runs through Sunday. It's their 30th anniversary. What will you find there? They have lawn boxes for show, jumping, craft beer and wine tent, cross-country tailgating, country shops, kids' corner, and more. For more information, go to fairhillinternational.com. My wife and I went last year. It was a blast. I really urge you, if you're looking for something to do today, go out to fairhillinternational.com and their October festival. Yes, Chris. I'll be in the I'll be in the wine tent. Yeah, whining. Yeah, well, whining. No, whining, <laughs> whining. Mookie Betts is going to win the MVP. Well, at least that was backed up by a credible uh, beat yeah, reporter. by a credible source. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a timeout. Well, and before we go into that timeout, yeah. let's do a commercial for our favorite establishment. Uh, in Dundalk. Yeah, the Costas Inn. Inn. 4100 North Point Boulevard, and uh, they've got great specials throughout the week. Tell us, like, what some of those are. Well, they're Crab Cake Night on Monday. What about Tuesday? Uh, That's Rib Night. What about Wednesday? That's Steak Night. And how about Thursday? And you can get lobster on Thursday. Wow. No special on Friday? No, just a other lot of good. Craig, other than Craig Heiss singing A lot karaoke. of good, well, and Nick Triantopoulos, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh... There's a lot of good music uh, on a Friday night. But you have jazz night on uh, on Wednesday night. That's yep. always great. So yep. stop by, see Nick and Pete at the Costa Center. tell them the guys sent you from and the bat around. That's right, absolutely. Stan and Craig from the bat around and uh, the bang, bang, the, the bang around. The, bang around. <laughs> the bat around. 4100 North Point Boulevard, the Costa Inn. They treat you like family. So I'm what you'd call a regular at Chick-fil-A. I go a lot. And if you are too, then join the club, the Chick-fil-A One Club. When you get food, you get points. And when you get points, you earn free stuff, like more food. Breakfast, for example. Yep, breakfast. There's an egg white grill on a multi-grain muffin with cheese that's not only delicious and healthy, but it now earns you points. Buy anything, get points. Order through your Chick-fil-A app, get points. You're going to Chick-fil-A anyway. Why not get free stuff for your efforts? Join Chick-fil-A One online or through your app and while I've got your attention please remember Chick-fil-A catering it's a real live crowd pleaser in fact order twice as much as you think you'll need trust me go see Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square 5198 Campbell Boulevard tell him I sent you if you need help downloading your app don't ask Steve but he'll know someone who can help Chick-fil-A one get food earn more free food Join Team Up for One and help children with challenges by attending the third annual Sports Leadership Awards Bowl and Oyster Roast on October 30th. The night will honor UMBC men's basketball coach Ryan Odom and raise money to help children with disabilities. For information and tickets to the Team Up for One Sports Leadership Awards at Valley Mansion, go to teamupforone.org. That's teamupforthenumberone.org. Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime and post-game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, post-game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Press Box's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Press Box Sports. 
Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious Boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg takes a look at Baltimore basketball legend Juan Dixon, now in his second year of trying to resurrect the basketball program at Coppin State. Plus, we celebrate the 35th anniversary of the 1983 Orioles, honoring the unlikely heroes that helped bring Baltimore its last World Series title. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. This is former Terp AJ Francis just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo, Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy, Y2AJ, here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. And welcome back to the Bat Around, the always technically savvy Stan the Fan Charles along with Craig Heist as we talk all topics of baseball between now and uh, 12 noon. Are you all right over there? <laughs> no, I, no, I, I hit sh- share and it said only me. Then I changed it back to public mm-hmm. and I hit share again and it says only me. Maybe you are the public. <laughs> There's the public. By the way, I was insulted just a moment ago. Yeah, you heard you heard the uh, you heard the spot during right. that break uh, right. concerning press box and the new print issue. Yeah. that's out, and I just was joking. I said, "Who, who is that?" And Glenn asked me to voice that spot last week while I was in here right. for you. And Brittany says, "Is that you?" He says, "I thought it might have been Bonza." <laughs> I was insulted to the nth degree there, and I'd like an apology from you, Elaine. <laughs> Young lady, <laughs> I am very well, aggravated. We'll see if you get it. Yeah, okay. okay. Did you wish him a happy birthday? The I other did day? this Good. week. Yes, yes, Good. yes. I told him don't joyride up and down two seventy <laughs> to celebrate. But anyway, uh, Bonza has a little trouble with his speed. I, I yeah. apologize. I'm totally mystified. Anyway, <laughs> that's that's all right. That's all right. I'm totally mystified. Uh, Mike so, Shallon yeah. is going to join us now. Mike. Is the official scorer at Fenway Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been a longtime contributor to this show. Will uh, he have any of the games in the World Series? I'm sure he will. I'm sure. I'm sure okay. he will. Um, and he's been writing for a small paper outside of uh, Boston, the New Hampshire Union Leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a couple of years, he's been doing sports columns for them. He was with uh, the Sports Exchange, which you know guys like Todd Karpovic, Jeff Seidel were making money on the side here. And then they, they kind of went – they didn't go out of business, but they cut their game coverage. But uh, now I'm hearing that he may have a gig with Forbes Online. Well, have you heard n- that? Yeah, well, I have not heard that. But, I mean, some of the other people that 
are working for Ford's. Uh, Barry Bloom, who uh, was MLB.com for so many years, uh, he is doing that uh-huh. now as well. So uh, it seems to be an up-and-coming uh, up and coming thing in terms of some maybe pretty good Maybe pre- you and I can get Some pretty gig. good writers. Oh, well, that kind of, in, yeah, that exactly. case, <laughs> in that case. <laughs> some pretty good writers. Yeah, our shot. Uh, but that's, that's good. Yeah, Just no, that's another, great for Shallon. Another, great for right, Shallon. And another avenue, absolutely. All right. We're going to have Mike on with us in just a minute. 11.05, Craig, we're going to have a friend of mine who I met down in Bradenton about three years ago, Joe Shuda, mm-hmm. who does a little bit. He's not quite at your level of what he does, but he's around the Pirates quite a bit, and he's got a, a thing called the two-minute timeout, uh, which he sells a sponsorship to, and it's a neat little feature thing. And he sent me one the other day that kind of tickled my fancy involving former Pirates backup catcher Steve Nicasio. Right. And uh, it's a pretty clever little piece. Pretty, well, we don't want to kill it until he comes no. on, but uh, it is. and We're going to play it, it when he comes well, on. Well, and it has a direct... Uh, a direct effect on fans in Baltimore. Yeah, with the 79, with the 79 World, World, World Series. Series. Absolutely. But uh, after that series was over, something very interesting happened on the field. So that was kind of a <laughs> – you'll, you'll like the story. It's a Let's really just put cute it, story. Very put cute story. Yeah. Uh, Mike Shallon will join us in just a minute. It will be interesting to see. I'm sure that Mike – he's not answering? Okay. See, once he gets a job at Forbes, he doesn't, yeah, he need, doesn't, us, yeah, well, doesn't need us anymore. Yeah, he's just, <laughs> Stan, Craig, who are they? <laughs> anyway, uh, John Parado, uh, a sports right. writer out of uh, the Pittsburgh area, right. uh, has also uh, been doing some stuff for Forbes, too. As so. a matter of fact, I think that's who posted something where I yeah. saw the, the thing about Shallon. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's, it's, it's you know, a lot of, a lot of people are – uh, trying to find different things to do, obviously in a business, and uh, you know this is this is one of those. You and I've been trying. Well, to do yeah, that. but I mean, but for we've Shallon, been looking for things for to Mike pay. Shallon and and writing for as long as he has, and uh, you know, with the coverage of the Red Sox, it, it's a it's a pretty big thing for him to be able to do that. So, going forward, look for some good stuff from Mike Shallon, and uh, it's going to be interesting because one of the things I'd like to do is get his thought and take on joe west from the other night and that i mean because right off, right off the bat if you were online well, he thought i i talked to him a little bit online mm-hmm. he thinks it was a blown call it was a blown call it's a home run i'm yeah. sorry yeah. I, anybody that to me says anything different about interference or the fan stuck his hands if the fan goes over the wall onto the I mean, the the best way to, right. to compare and contrast is the Jeffrey Mayer thing. Right, but you can clearly see. clearly the outfielder was standing there ready to catch the ball. Right. And the guy goes over. And Mayer goes over this, the wall. This, this bears no resemblance to that. Right. Resemblance and that's that. the first thing. that's the first thing you saw online uh, when you're watching the game and you happen to be in front of your computer or on your phone. You, you, you know, everybody right away is saying, oh, and Jeffrey Mayer's was an interference? Are you kidding? You know, so, I mean, right away. And and Glenn and I, I had the uh, the play by play from John right. Miller last week, right? And that's the most accurate description of the call that you'll ever hear anywhere. Not Bob Costas, not it is high, it is far, please. <laughs> but I mean, to and Glenn brought this up too. We were so fortunate to have John Miller in oh, this town no from from eighty three. Straight on up to when he left so in 97, 96. 96, yeah. 96, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, we're having trouble making our connections with Mike Shallon. 
uh, and that may or may not end up happening. Um, what do you expect out of a game seven tonight? Uh, we got Ju- Julius Shashin going for the homestanding Brewers, and he's going to face off against a guy that's couldn't be more different than him, mm-hmm. 21-year-old Walker Bueller. Well, Walker Bueller throws hard, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what the game plan is there as far as him uh, and how he attacks the Brewers hitters. But, from, I mean, if you wanted a matchup that couldn't be, uh, of, you know, of the top two guys, you know, whether it be uh, – but, but you will see uh, – you will see the left-hander from the Dodgers tonight. Make no mistake about it, Mr. Kershaw. Mr. Kershaw, yes. If it's a close game, if it's a close game, yeah, no, yeah. no question. But I mean, if you couldn't have that matchup where either Kershaw was pitching, uh, I think this tonight has, with Shasin on the mound, every bit a possibility to be a real tight knit, close pitched game by two pretty good pitchers. Yeah. Well, it's uh, certainly. You couldn't find two more different pitchers than these guys. Uh, Shashin, uh, who has been around, uh, I mean, this would it have shocked you if the Orioles had signed Shashin during the uh, during the offseason? No. Yeah. I mean, he was I mean, the kind of guy yeah. they were looking for to catch a little bit of a lightning in a bottle. I mean, his uh, – Kashner, Andrew Kashner's career probably – a little bit more highly thought of than Shashin, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't yeah, you well, think going into this year? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but uh, again, when you were looking for pitching, uh, there were a lot of guys that I thought the Orioles should look at that they didn't. So, yeah. uh, Well, my number one guy, and you know from doing the show with me, was R.A. Dickey, right. who chose ended up choosing not to come back. But I thought he was the perfect guy. Do we have Mr. Shallon on with us now? All right, joining us right now is someone who I've gotten to know over the years. I've known him for a long time. Then when I started doing the bat around, um, I reached out to him, and he's been become a regular on the program, uh, and he is the very fine uh, writer and also official scorer at Fenway Park. Mike Shallon joins us. Mike, how are you? How do you know I'm a regular? Uh, how do I know you're a regular? <laughs> <laughs> or or how do we know that you're regular? <laughs> yeah, he just said yeah, he just said he's, he's a regular on the show. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's a good point, Mike. It's, it's I don't sometime, know that. Sometimes, I, sometimes I'm, to be on this show, it's better to be a regular. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I want to tell you. I got no respect right. around here. Oh, hey, now first, right. now first of all, I've been touting you for a couple of years as you've been on the show as uh, being a columnist for the New Hampshire Union Leader. And uh, and an official scorer and also author, are you still a columnist at the New Hampshire Union Leader with your new gig? Uh, what what's my new gig? The grandpa thing? No. Wait a minute. I, I better talk to you. Did are you doing anything with Forbes? No. Somebody wrote that you were yesterday. Oh, I okay. got hired by Forbes. That's nice. Have the checks come in the mail yet? Not yet. yet. (laughs) You know, I knew I should have checked with you before this, but I wanted to congratulate you on the air, and I'm not congratulating you. you. I'm taking that. I'm taking that away now. It's an it's an opportunity that I never thought I'd get. Really, (laughs) don't think I have. Well, yeah. Since I'm not as since I'm not as close to you as Stan is, I, I, I have to ask you. Uh, the other night 
where, where we see the Mookie Betts play yeah. out in right field. To me, that's a blown call. It's not even close. Mm-hmm. And anybody that's watching on replay, uh, you can see that uh, that ball is heading into the stands, and I don't think anybody reaches out onto the field of play. Uh, to, there was to, one guy. One guy reached over the line, but he had nothing to do with the play. Yeah, right. The guy in the ba- in sort of the gray shirt. He reached across. With yes. his left hand. Never touched and anything. It's right. always been my understanding that once the ball's in the stands, unless there's intentional interference, it 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 the ball the ball belongs to the fan unless the player steals it from the fan. Now the irony yeah. the irony of all of this to me is that. And, and I'm not a big fan of Joe West in any way, shape, or form. But for as good a game as he had the night before behind the plate, maybe the best ball strike uh, uh, you know, job that he's ever done mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to go down the right field line and make a call like that, just crazy to me. Well, you know, uh, almost as crazy as having to watch him waddle across the field to go yeah, get the, exactly. uh, the, the replay. But, um uh, you know, I thought it was pretty clear to me. Uh, it was a great play by Mookie, and I think he would have caught it. And then that's when they say they say people say to me, "Well, he would have caught it." So, yeah, he would have. Yep. But, but that's it's... not that's not the point, and that's, and that's not, not the rule. The rule. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It, I, I thought. For what do sure you think? That... What do you think happened there? Do you think as Joe was running toward the play, he saw the guy in the in the you know in the gray shirt? And just assumed he caused the whole thing. Well, Joe didn't run to the play. Let's waddled. Put it yeah, he waddled over there. Well, first of all, he's close to it anyway. Right. He's the right field umpire. Right. So you know, I mean, we we listen. Jeffrey Mayer back against the Orioles. Yeah, it's a part of the Yankee Oriole history. Uh, and Richie Garcia, who was an outstanding umpire, a little hot tempered, but he was outstanding. He was he was what Angel Hernandez wants to be. Um, <laughs> He blew that call. Yeah. There's no question about it that he blew that call. But this this thing, you know, sometimes you know this 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 irrefutable overturn thing bothers me when when it when common sense gets taken out of the gets taken out of the equation. And I guess there would have been an angle to show the line, but a security guard stood up in front of in front of the camera. And there's actually a picture online of the security guard's back, which we would have been able to see more. But I you know, I, I thought naked eye that it was that it was in the stands and I you know, then I watched it a hundred times. Just like the play ironically involving the two same teams during the regular season on Sunday night baseball while Tuve was safe at home and, and they called him out. And it was mm-hmm. it was clear as day if you're gonna if you're gonna call it practically that he was safe. And um, you know now, now, in fairness, the Astros did score in that inning, and they did have the lead that they didn't hold. And one thing I think people around here don't realize is the effect of the injuries to Correa and Altuve, right. who to, to me are J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts of Houston. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, Altuve having to you know, be a D.H. and not being able to take the extra base or steal a base, Correa's been hurt since May. You know, and uh, all that said, you know the team with 108 wins wound up winning, so you know, I don't I don't see any reason for them to stop now. Uh, Got to ask you a question about David Price. Uh, I I know how you felt about how insufferable he's been up there in Boston for a good chunk of the time there, and how he handled that thing last year with Eckersley and all that. Uh, what were the chances, percentage wise, you thought he would come through with a game like that on Thursday? Well, you know. Was he due? 
Um, <laughs> I guess he was. Most gamblers, yeah. though, would say that they've lost a lot of money betting mm-hmm. the do theory. Yep, yep, that's true. And and I, I wonder what the betting was on that game, to be honest. But, uh, you know, I don't know what the answer is. I do know that that it tends to get overlooked that the guy is 39-19 and 19 in a Red Sox uniform during the regular season. Mm-hmm. And there, there were games, if you looked at the stats, I believe coming into that game the other night, the Red Sox had not scored a single run in the first inning in any of his postseason, Red Sox, his other teams, his you know, yeah. postseason record, and his teams had scored 1.9 runs per game for him. Now, you've got to figure that somewhere along the line, a guy's going to get lucky and win a game 10-7 to 7 that he pitches five innings in. You right. know? But it, it, as it worked out, you know, he's a heck of a pitcher. There's no question about it. And, and um, you know, I consider him the top 15 or 20 pitchers in the major league, certainly. Yep. And a lot, a lot of it is luck. There's no question about it. Um, but did I think he was going to do it the other I did. I did think he'd come through. I didn't think he'd come through like he did. Yeah. He, he really clearly outpitched Justin Verlander, who, who, let's be honest, I mean, Justin Verlander was incredible the first two months of the season. He was very good the rest of the year, but he wasn't like he was down the stretch last year with Houston. No, he wasn't. No, no he wasn't. And he's got he's got a great postseason record, but he's also low and four in the World Series. Nobody ever talks about that. Yep. Yep. That's <laughs> interesting. Uh, we're talking with Mike Shallon, columnist for the New Hampshire Union Leader. And uh, Forbes. Don't forget and Forbes. For, and he's got that big job with Forbes. Yeah. <laughs> and when I mentioned it to Craig well, off the air, he goes, that's great. Barry Bloom's doing stuff for them. I guess well, they're you know, getting... I think the, the, the one thing on, on my Facebook wall was with John Parado in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Maybe that's what I got confused. Yeah. It showed yeah. up on my phone, and I thought it was somebody talking about you getting this gig, maybe it was you congratulating him. Yes, that's exactly okay. what it was. Okay, I but, apologize. Uh, I still should get a finder's fee of some sort. Yeah, you know? well, how about <laughs> you getting part of the gig? I, yeah, I'd like, listen, I love, one thing I love is gigs. Yep, <laughs> yeah, yep. And you love Forbes, don't you? <laughs> I love Forbes. In fact, the funny thing is, we did, I did a book with my brother called Out by a Step, the 100 Best Players Not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Right. This is back 15 years ago, I guess it was, and... and uh, uh, Forbes, is it Steve Forbes? I forget the guy who's the current Forbes, but he did a review of the book and he called it Bafo. Bafo. And I never, it's the only review I've ever had in my life that called me Bafo. So I, I really, I, I half expected you to have news for me that I was being hired by Forbes. I'm going to work on that now. I'm yeah, now, 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 now I feel I owe it to you. <laughs> uh, we're talking with Mr. Bafo, Mike Shallon. Mike, that book, and I had no reason to ask you this question when I booked you this week. Uh, is Tony Oliva the best player in your estimation? He and Mattingly, probably two of the top guys not in the Hall of Fame. Number one in our book was Richie Allen. Okay. And Oliva was two. Uh, Donnie was in there somewhere in the top 15. Now, one thing, uh, we, and we did a lot of radio on the, uh, and TV on this book, people misunderstood what the point of the book was. The point of the book was not a campaign right. to get these people in. It was just to read, you know, because each chapter showed why, why the guy wasn't in. You know, off-field problems or not enough longevity or whatever. Um, but Mattingly was in there highly, and several of our guys got in since, like Souter or Jim Rice, mm-hmm. people like that. But we had a lot of a uh, lot of fun doing the book, and and our original deal was to update it 
uh, every kind of every year or every two years. But uh, the publishing business people sell they you know companies get swallowed up by other companies and you be, and you go by the wayside. But to me, Richie Allen uh, and Oliva were, were clearly the two best players that that I ever saw. Now, P. Rose and Joe J- Jackson were not involved in the book. Because, right, because of the circumstances right, surrounding right. it. Yeah. Because there's no question that they would both be in if they were allowed to be in. But, um, yeah, we had a lot of fun doing the book, and a lot of people really uh, really enjoyed it. And the, 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 one of the points of the book was, when you say Hall of Fame, people think baseball. Yep. You know, they're not going to think the NBA. They're not going to think the NFL. You know, it, it, it's ba- when you say Hall of Fame, people think Cooperstown. And that that was that was basically the reaction we got to the book. It was a lot of fun to do. There is a chat group on Facebook that I belong to that's called the Cooperstown Debating Society. Okay. And it's very interesting to get on there and see some of the names that are thrown out. And while I know that debating who should be or who shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame and who has a realistic shot at going into the Hall of Fame is always a fun exercise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But some of the names that come up in there, you know, I, I, I'm one of those keep it simple, stupid kind of guys. I just, right away, what are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so, I mean, it, it's always fun to debate it, but, you know, let's be realistic at the same time. Could, could well, you-, you know, that's the, that's the thing, uh, the argument that I have against broadcasters being part of the process. And, you know, they're always saying, who sees these players more than we do, and blah, blah, blah. But well, let's be honest, almost every broadcaster is a homer. And, and, you know, it, it, that turns me off more about any, anything in sports is, is I can't take the we and us stuff. I really can't. Yeah. And um, uh, to think that they would be unbiased when it comes to watching a guy who they watch 150 games a year for 10 years uh, is not realistic. Now, unfortunately, some of the print guys fall into the same category, and I'm you know, certainly not going to name names here, but... Uh, it's it's a difficult process, and, and um, by and large, we get it right. You know, and I've been voting since '89, and you know, I've made some. I, I admit, I've made some mistakes, and, and there've been guys. You know, for instance, I didn't vote for Craig Biggio, and and I remember being on the air one day. Well, I wasn't on the air, but uh, the year that Biggio missed by two votes, uh, the two guys in New York, Marty Noble and Murray Chass. Both said they didn't vote for him because of the uh, suspicions about steroids. Well, I called. Uh, I, I was listening to MLB radio, Jim Boat, Casey Stern. Yeah. I was actually driving out to cover a basketball game at UMass, and I called in to say that I didn't vote for Biggio, but it had nothing to do with steroids. And I just thought that he was a very good player for a long time. Mm-hmm. did not think he was ever one of the elite players in baseball. And so... Different different voters have different views on what it takes to be in. There's no question about it. And unfortunately, some of these number things, like I never voted for Don Sutton or Phil Negro, you know, and, and I understand Hoyt Wilhelm is another one. I just, and again, I was very young when Hoyt Wilhelm was in the major leagues, but aside from the gimmick pitch, I mean, was he a great pitcher? Did he belong in the Hall of Fame? I, I didn't think that he did. So it, it's all, it's what, you know, what they, you know, I don't know, is it subjective, is it objective? I don't know what exactly what it is. But we, we look at different players in different, uh, in different light. Like, I am coming around now on Jeff Kent. 
Right. And I think it might be too late for me to come around. I'm just kidding. I'm not sure if you'd leave it there anymore. Right. Uh, but I always thought, you know, people said, well, he had more home runs than any second baseman in history. Yeah, but they moved him to second base because he couldn't play third. Right. You know, I always kind of factor stuff like that in, you know. and, and But the RBI uh, totals were pretty astounding. Yes, they were. Yeah. No question about yeah. it. Uh, and I'm starting to come around, you know, come around on Jeff Kent. You know, you you can't change your mind. There's the, the old saying, you know, because there's some people who won't vote for guys on the first ballot no matter what because nobody's ever gotten 100%. And, and people say, well, look how great a year so-and-so has had. He's been, he's been out of baseball for 10 years. Um, you know, sometimes you do change your mind. And, I, and uh, I've changed my mind on Mucina. I'm now a Mucina voter. Which I wasn't we love it. We love the yeah. fact you're a Mucina voter now. Yes, I am. You know, I you am. know the biggest factor to me. I, I really studied the numbers very carefully. Somehow, not taking into account that he pitched his entire career in the American uh-huh. League East yep. versus Tom Glavin's numbers pitching in the National League, yep. it's just astounding to me. It's so clear that Mucina, and I'm not saying anything negative about Glavin, but that Mucina was. The equal or better than Glavin, it's just apparent to me, you know. And I don't think, you know, if, I think if you put them both in today's game, right? I, I think Glavin would suffer because he mo- most of his damage was done before Questac, and he used to get that extra six or eight inches off the plate. Mm-hmm. He and Maddox, he and Maddox both. Oh, I think Maddox is a true Hall of Famer. Glavin used to get that that extra call, and, and you, you don't get those anymore. Um, <laughs> You know, because of the because of the judging, the the uh, the rating of each pitch. You brought up something a moment ago that just baffles my mind and always has, and that's that. You know, nobody nobody's ever gotten a hundred percent, and they're just writers that will not vote for anybody on the first ballot. Mm-hmm. And when when it is obviously clear with some players that they are first ballot Hall of Famers, and mm-hmm. to not recognize that. As a, as a voter for the Hall of Fame, really, to me, just kind of, it, it takes away from the responsibility you have. I agree. You know, to, to, to come up with that yeah, choice but, but on the you, first but ballot. But you've got to be fair enough to what Mike's talking about here, that you've got to give people a chance to change their mind. Well, I mean, that's, that's fine and dandy, but there are some... Whether it be a Ripken, whether it be a Seaver, right? I mean, what's going to happen? What? Well, yeah, Griffey, right. right? What's going to happen when Jeter and Marion? I mean, if anybody's first, are you talking about why there's no, why they're not hundred percenters? Hundred percent okay, first okay. ballot, okay. or right, why you wouldn't vote right. for them? Yeah, okay. on a first ballot. Yeah, to I, me, I mean, what's going to happen with that? Yeah, I would yeah. be, I would be embarrassed. Yeah. if, I, if yeah. I turned in a ballot without uh, Derek. So a lot, of, a lot of weird things have happened over the years. Uh, I remember when Thurman Munson died, there was a push by some of the New York writers to, immediately, to get, him in, yeah. get him in immediately. And then five, then five years later, this, two of the writers turned in blank ballots <laughs> right, because they were right. protesting something and didn't vote for Munson when they could have. Right. Um, you know, unfortunately, listen, it's human nature, it's politics. We know a lot of it has to do with that. We know that Jim Rice was, was kept out as long as he, as he was because of his, his dealings with some of members of the media. There's no question about it. Um, you know, Eddie Murray was a guy whose numbers, you know, he wasn't great with the media either, but his numbers were so overwhelming that he had to go in. Yeah, no um, question about it. But the, uh, human nature, as we've, as we've learned in the political world, it's hard to explain what some people think about, you know, about 
any kind of voting. Hey, you know, before, and, and before we let you go, Mike, yeah. um, you're an official scorer at Fenway Park. Is it uh, safe to assume that you're going to get a couple of the games? I have uh, scheduled the games one and seven. One and seven. Oh, yeah. I like that. Remember, thing. nothing beats a game seven. Nothing beats a game seven, especially when it puts extra money in my checking. Nah. <laughs> well, if anybody from Forbes is listening right yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? If anybody from Forbes is listening and can find the 30,000 emails. <laughs> no, the, the uh, wants to know that Mike Shallon uh, would like to work for Forbes, and he's doing game seven. That would be a great first assignment by Forbes, wouldn't it? Well, they could, they couldn't really do it because I couldn't work for them. That's right, because of the oh, that's true. Because well, yeah, we can't we can't do anything. The oh, dangerous we're sore, we can't do anything else. All we, right, we, we can't brush our teeth, we can't comb our hair, we can't do anything else except score that game. We can get go, pretty gamey down to that. Go, go to the bathroom, which is a real problem if there's extra innings. <laughs> that was part. Of, that was part of my my big project a couple of years ago. I was going to come out with. Uh, with depends for official scoring, <laughs> and, and, I love that. And we're gonna we're gonna have we're gonna have the team that you work for. Well, you don't work for the team, but the games that you do, you have a little uh, what do you call it, insignia, a little emblem on the side. So in other words, you get your own personalized depends, so you don't have to get. Up <laughs> you know, I love I love that. You know, you look a little like Mister Whipple now that yeah. I think about it. Hey, Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Hey, real quick, uh, the uh, game seven tonight in Milwaukee. Who are you picking in that game, and then who are you picking in the series, Mike? Well, I'm picking the Brewers. Um, the Red Sox win tonight no matter what because either Hayter's going to have to pitch three innings from Milwaukee or, or Kershaw's going to have to relieve for the Dodgers. So the Red Sox are going to sit back and, and be happy with that. The Red Sox should win the World Series. I, you know, uh, that Not only are they excellent, outstanding, whatever you want to call it, but they're, they're getting all the breaks. Yeah. And when you have a year like that, um, you know, Price has the monkey off his back, or whatever you want to call it. Sale, obviously, we don't know. You don't know what you're going to get when he goes out there. But I, I just think that the the Red Sox have all the boxes checked, and uh, I know that the networks want LA to win, obviously. Yeah. Sure. But in the in the spirit of MLB, you know, it's funny. I'm going to this is known. I'm going to use in my column today. They spend millions and millions of dollars every year on initiatives to get the young kids involved in baseball, yet they can't see fit to have one afternoon game in the World Series. Yeah, that's right. Me, you know, why, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's well, school day, four of the seven games are during the week. And in this LDS, uh, LCS, there were two games that went to two in the morning. Uh-huh. I yep. mean, how do you... I, it, anyway. it baffles my mind. All right. Mike Shallon, always a pleasure talking to you. I'm going to be working on that Forbes thing. All right? All right. I'm looking forward to it. All right, my friend. Say hi to Maggie the cat for me. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon. You know, one of the things about this Red Sox, and, and heaven be it for me to be a Red Sox guy or root for the Red right. Sox because when they broke the curse in 05, okay, you were cool with that. I was okay with that. Yeah. But then their fans thought it was yeah. a rite of pass passage for them to yeah. have to win it every year. Yeah. And their fans became more obnoxious than Yankee fans. And folks, that takes some doing. Okay. And and so so be it. So then the the hate level factor for both teams are pretty parallel. Mm-hmm. You know. All right. And that. But I mean, Keep this the blood pressure down. But this. Red Sox team, from everybody that you talk to, right, 
clubhouse wise is good club is a good clubhouse and very much different than the past uh, successes of the Red I, Sox over I the last you. ten to fifteen years. I hear you. I hear you. All yeah. right. Well, they certainly look to be a solid favorite uh, against either of the teams. I mean, you can paint a scenario where the Dodgers could beat the Red Sox. You could paint a scenario for the Brewers to beat the Red Sox. But everything seems to have fallen in place and, for the and Red And speaking of hate, yes, uh, have I mentioned the fact to you that uh, Penn State has lost two straight games in a row? <laughs> well, you hadn't. You hadn't mentioned it yeah. yet this hour. Well, we All just right. did. All right. Uh, we're going to make our contact now with Joe Shuda, uh, who does the two-minute timeout. And uh, we called Joe about four minutes ago to tell him we were running a little late with Mike Shallon. And this is one of those shows, isn't it? What, you just can't get people right there on the phone that no, you want? we can't get them right there on the phone. It's you know. one of those things. We, but would, I, we would get Latson on if we called Bill Latson. Absolutely, right away. Because, yeah. well, he's he just... He sits there waiting for you He sits there waiting for you to call. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's who we depend on as our regular guests. Right, exactly. People that sit there waiting for calls. One of the other things, too, about this series is... I, and, and one of the things that happened last... Saturday when you were out sick and Glenn and right. I were in here a little bit and I started the show with I little, was in the hospital yeah I started the show with a little bit of a monologue saying right. that I didn't know how uh, Craig Council's handling of the pitching staff was going to affect the rest of the series well it turned out that maybe it did to some degree uh, but it's you know they got it back on track a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they you know. certainly did. Right, so right. they've put themselves in a position to win a game seven. We'll see how it goes. All right, joining us right now, is somebody I've gotten to know over the past couple of years, and every so often we find a reason to have him on the show, and it's Joe Shuda of the Two Minute Timeout, which is heard uh, sort of on a syndication in the uh, Allegheny County Pittsburgh area. Is that Good a morning. Fair? How are you? Good, Joe. How are you? Another damn paradise raining. <laughs> yes. But where can people listen to Two Minute Time Out on the radio? Is it on the radio? Uh, we're on WCMD in Cumberland, Maryland, and WKLP in Kaiser, West Virginia. All right. That's good. And you can go to the website, Two Minute Time Out, uh, right, and exactly. listen to yeah, it as well. Right, exactly. number two, and then MinuteTO.com. All right. Hey, uh, Joe, um, you sent me this, and you always do, when it's something that you think uh, touches us a little bit in Baltimore, you put a little private note. So I made mention uh, to myself, got to listen to this one. And I found it to be a very cute story. Do we have permission for us to run it right now sure. so fans can listen Absolutely. to it? Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, All right. Sure. We're going to run the two-minute timeout. It deals with former pirate catcher Steve Nicasio and something that happened to him at the end of the 1979 World Series, and then we'll continue with Joe after this two-minute timeout. It's time for a two-minute timeout with Joe Shuda. The Pittsburgh Pirates won Game 7 of the 1979 World Series on the road against the Baltimore Orioles. However, Pirates starting catcher Steve Nicosia and his Bucko teammates had one more fight on their hands. We clinched in Baltimore. We were head 4-1 to after Stargill's home run. They started lining up the Baltimore cops along the field because Memorial Stadium had just a little brick wall about maybe two and a half feet high that the fans could just jump over if they wanted. So they lined the policemen up so that 
that they wouldn't let people come on the field. They were upset that they had lost the series. As soon as the last out was made and they hit the fly ball to uh, Omar Marino, here comes 10,000 angry Baltimore fans onto the field. It was chaos and bedlam. The cops didn't stop anybody. And as we're running off the field, the idea was they were trying to get pirate memorabilia. And most of the people were going after guys' gloves. We all had the Sargil Stars on our hat. And they were all trying to take our hat. I know it was a mad fight to try and get down into the dugout and into the clubhouse. Well, I had a guy that came up to me, young kid, college kid, tried to take my mask and my helmet from me and wouldn't take no for an answer. So finally, I just had to whack him four or five times with my mask and he rolled on the ground and then finally ran away. Ironic part of the story is 35 years later, I get a call from his wife and she says that I'm married to the guy that you beat up after game seven in Baltimore at home plate. And I started laughing and I'm thinking, oh my God, they're going to sue me now. It was a little scary, but I guess she just wanted to reminisce a little bit, making jokes that I beat her husband up and her kids thought it was a riot when they saw the video and that they wanted to come to Atlanta sometime and buy me dinner and drinks. So I said, well, come on board. I gave her my cell phone number and I said, call me. Now that was about 18 months ago. I never heard back from her. <laughs> I'm Joe Shuda with this two-minute timeout. That was priceless, and uh, Joe Shooter joins us again on the other side of his two-minute timeout. So let me ask you a question. When you set up an interview like you do with uh, Nicosia, uh, it's not to tell that one anecdote, is it? You kind of run the tape and see what's what is interesting that comes out of it? Right, absolutely. What I do, usually the interviews are about 10 to 15 minutes, and I ask them, in advance, usually a week in advance, to think of, you know, some type of funny story because on the spot it's very difficult to do that. You know, if I ask you to tell me a funny story, uh, let me think, and then, you know, probably a couple hours later you would think of it. So, yeah. Then I, I, can I, tell I, you about, I can tell you a story about Craig Heist in the bathroom at the Costa Yeah, Sin, I'm but, sure you could. But we'll save that for another time. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes I have to edit these, and it is amazing today what you can do because, you know, some of the, the language is rather inappropriate, and uh, so you have to, like, stick a couple words in there, which is really amazing, especially when you think about political ads and how you, how did this guy actually say that? You can take what somebody says and sort of, like, you know, put it in another another position, and that's why sometimes, you know, I guess fake news is really fake news. Exactly, and that will be happening with Stan the Fan later on. At some point this week, I will say something that he has said and take it totally out of context to make him look as good as we possibly can. <laughs> you know, Stan, what's great is when you talk to former players, they have so much to, to tell you. Yep. And they can tell you some stories, but you know, current players, you know how it is. No one wants to say anything. And everybody's I mean, I politically that. correct. Yep. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting off the subject of baseball to football, but like with the Steelers and Le'Veon Bell, can you imagine what these guys really think of him right now? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're talking with Joe Shooter. He does a really entertaining radio um, feature, featurette or vignette called Two Minute Timeout, and it's available at Two Minute Timeout. Hey, Joe, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a chance to talk to Phil Garner? Unbelievable! You said that. Matter of fact, he contacted me after hearing this. I've got my contact list. I've got about close to five hundred people on the email list, and he contacted me and, and absolutely loved it. And matter of fact, 
He's going to be on. I'm going to have him. I did a segment with him about uh, a month ago, and uh, uh, he tells a couple of hilarious stories also about these times. Well, having met him and covered him a little bit and, you know, just you know, some BS conversation in the dugout, you can tell with the personality and for as long as he was in the game and and all the, and, and the kind of player that he was, yeah. kind of a scrap iron type of player, that, I mean, he had great stories all the time. And that's what made me ask that question. Well, and also, of course, he was, was involved with Charlie Finley. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, that, that, that whole situation, imagine with Charlie Finley. So, I mean, that, that's what's really great of it. And I, and I love it. And these guys are just tremendous when they go back and reminisce about it. So it's, uh, you know, everybody has a story. And that's the great thing about it. You can just get that story from them. And, and that's what I enjoy about it. We're talking with Joe Shooter. A couple more minutes with Joe. Joe, uh, you, you, you're pretty close to the Pirates situation up there. This was a year that maybe, maybe it wasn't, the timing wasn't perfect, but they sort of did a couple things where they went for it this year, didn't they? Yeah, well, people were very upset, of course, with the trade of Garrett Cole and especially uh, with Andrew McCutcheon, but uh, the young pitchers did extremely well. Uh, the Pirates played really well. I mean, they had that one series where they beat the Brewers five straight at home. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the Brewers were in the, they had a doubleheader. And, but once again, one of the problems with the Pirates is there's this extreme dislike of the ownership, and attendance was the lowest it has been in 16 years, only $1.4 million. Mm-hmm. And people are going to have a tough time being convinced that, the, that they're really serious. But, yes, they did play much better than what people had expected. I think the Orioles drew, what, 1.6 this year? I think it was just so, barely So, yeah, 1. so that, that speaks volumes to what you're talking about uh, in terms of uh, what a fan base can mean to a team, especially if they are unhappy with the way things are being run by the team. Well, and I have, I have some friends that work security, and some of those announced attendance of seven, eight thousand. I was told that there were anywhere from twelve hundred to fifteen hundred. Some yeah. of those games, Joe, um, the Pirates. What I was alluding to was the they made two or three trades there right at the deadline that were a little bit uh, surprising to me. That they they kind of went for it, and I'm talking mostly about the Chris Archer trade. But they picked up one or two other players that uh, seemed out of character for the Pirates. Yeah, I think part of it really was ownership that realized how unhappy fans were, and that was surprising because the Pirates have this uh, feeling that well, we don't want to give up prospects. And you know, Jim Leland used to say, you know, a prospect is someone who's never done anything before. So yeah, it was quite surprising. And Archer was very disappointing. Yes, what was. was interesting was picking him up was that they really didn't need pitching because the young pitchers did extremely well. Uh, even Stephen Brault has done well. Here I am rubbing you in about yeah, Stephen Brault, Baltimore yeah. stuff. I'm sorry, guys. The famous Travis Snyder trade. Yeah, yeah. Who was the other yeah. pitcher in that trade? It was Brault, and mm-hmm. we gave yeah, up I'm two sorry. pitchers that were fairly decent prospects for Travis Snyder, who lasted about three months trying to replace Nick Markakis. Yeah, yeah, he's now playing independent baseball. Yeah. By he was yeah. playing independent baseball, by the way. Yeah. All right, well, Joe, we appreciate it. What are the uh, the Steelers are off this week, aren't they? Yeah, and Le'Veon Bell still has not shown up. I, I don't. I guess what the deadline is week ten for him to make any type of money, but um, 
I, I don't I don't know. It's just uh, it's a, a wa- weird situation. I think Mike Tomlin is smart enough to know that he's got a quarterback that can utilize his wide receivers as well as anybody. But uh, you know that guy in the running game for them right now. He's, he's a not couple, bad. He's not Connor's bad. Not yeah, bad. Connor's not bad. He's he's had some uh, some pretty good games here of late. Yeah. Well. Well, guys, let's hope things turn around in Baltimore, and, and maybe someday, if, if we're still here, or maybe when we when we come back in another life, maybe it'll be the Orioles and, and the, the Pirates. Pirates well, let me, let me ask let me ask you this before we let you go, and that's: Are you more of a Penn State guy or a Pitt guy? Um, well, I graduated from Penn State, so I guess I have to say. Penn oh, State, you and but... I are going to have to talk sometime. <laughs> All right, you just did a, a bad patch with Greg Heights. <laughs> Right. Hey, you have my number, so send me that information about the stand, and I'll have it on the two-minute timeout. All right. All right, Joe Shuda. Many thanks for sending that to us, and many thanks for coming on with us. All right? Thank you very much, guys. All right. We I, gonna... I knew he was going to – I knew if I asked him about Phil Garner. Right. That, that, because he's such a great storyteller and part of that team. And, I, you know, when you think about that series and you've got – Flanagan going in game five, Palmer going in game six, and McGregor going in game seven, and you're up three games to one. It was shocking. And then, and then, shocking. and then, so so they come back for the reunion a few years back of the of the uh, you know the whatever it is, 30th anniversary or whatever. And I said to Earl Weaver, they had a little press conference down in the interview right. room. I said, you know, you guys were up there, and then you went two for twenty eight with runners in scoring position the rest of the way. And Earl was like. Ah, thanks for reminding me. (laughs) Hey, I got to remind folks about something special this weekend, your last chance to catch the Fairhill International's October Festival. It's a great family event that runs through tomorrow, Sunday. It's their 30th anniversary. What will you find there? They have lawn boxes for show jumping, craft beer and wine tents, cross-country tailgating, country shops, kids' corner, and more. For more information, go to fairhillinternational.com. Trust me, I did this last year with my wife, and uh, it was just a blast. Uh, Try and get out there today or tomorrow, the Fairhill International's October Festival. It's a great family event that runs through tomorrow, and you can find out more about it by going to fairhillinternational.com. Now, before we take the break, let's tell folks about our favorite place over the Bay Bridge, Craig Heist. You're That's not wearing the T-shirt today. Well, no, I'm not. I, I went. Uh, you must have washed it. I, I washed it finally, and I went with the uh, alma mater T-shirt, the All Kenwood. Right. Uh, I like sports it. Sports science T-shirt. All right, but we're talking about big bats. Big bats, yeah. And Steve Garland, first first exit across the Bay Bridge, heading toward the Eastern Shore. You get off at the Stevensville exit, come up to the first stop sign, make a left. Well, it's a stoplight. Stoplight. Right yeah. Make a left. And about a quarter of a mile down on the right-hand side is Big Bats Cafe. Uh, it's a little piece of sports fan heaven, isn't it, Craig? Yeah, it really is. And you can go in there and get some great food, no question about it. And uh, the whole You know something about great food. Great food. And the place is baseball-themed throughout. Special rooms, theme rooms. They have uh, one room in particular that is nothing but an Orioles memorabilia room where you can go in, sit down, Waitresses take your order, bring the food right to you, and uh, you'll have a blast. And uh, you can Great go place to watch any Penn State football game, yeah. any Maryland football game. Capitals are back playing. Uh, the Wizards are playing. Uh, well, World except Series. for the last 10 seconds yeah, of the right, other night. Exactly. <laughs> the the uh, playoffs, the baseball playoffs are 
uh, there. Sunday's NFL ticket, Monday night, Thursday night. You can watch it all there at Big Batch Cafe. Tell Steve Garland that Stan the Fan and Craig Heist sent you. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dining orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. What's up? It's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Loop League. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page, that's at Fans Fantasy, and pick any five games against the spread every week. It's free to sign up, and someone wins a $25 Royal Farms gift card every single week. Plus, we'll have great season-long prizes as well. And check out all the other awesome games at Loop League, where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time. Join our Picks League now at LoopLeague.com. So I'm what you'd call a regular at Chick-fil-A. I go a lot. And if you are too, then join the club, the Chick-fil-A One Club. When you get food, you get points. And when you get points, you earn free stuff, like more food. Breakfast, for example. Yep, breakfast. There's an egg white grill on a multi-grain muffin with cheese that's not only delicious and healthy, but it now earns you points. Buy anything, get points. Order through your Chick-fil-A app, get points. You're going to Chick-fil-A anyway. Why not get free stuff for your efforts? Join Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A One online or through your app. And while I've got your attention, please remember Chick-fil-A Catering. It's a real live crowd pleaser. In fact, order twice as much as you think you'll need. Trust me. Go see Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Tell him I sent you. If you need help downloading your app, don't ask Steve, but he'll know someone who can help. Chick-fil-A One. Get food. Earn more free food. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash Sports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, postgame. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Press Box's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Sports. Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for... For 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. 
Welcome back to the Battle Round on this Saturday morning. And if you haven't shared uh, this program yet with your fen- friends, you fens? may want your friends and your friends. Like friends, The Fens comes up Tuesday. That's <laughs> yeah, Fenway that's Park. A, that's right. Um, you might want to do it now because we're going to play an interview I did a couple months ago. I don't think Craig was here that day. You were probably filling in for Phil Wood back uh-huh. on one of those Saturdays in June, I believe it was. We had uh, one of my favorite Orioles of all time, Jim Gentile, in the house. Mm-hmm. And we're going to give a listen to that interview right now. All, all right. right. And then we'll be back and wrap things up. Last week, uh, Glenn Clark and I did something on Next Week Today, a feature that we do each week, sort of a point-counterpoint. And this one wasn't so much point-counterpoint as it was asking the question, about in light of the fact that LeBron James was lost again to the Cleveland uh, faithful, the basketball faithful, who was the one player that we kind of never got over uh, losing on our team? And for me, the answer was pretty simple, and he joins us right now. He is the uh, former left-handed slugging first baseman of the Baltimore Orioles. That's Jim Gentile. How are you, Diamond? I'm fine, Stan. How are you, buddy? Good. How are things in... uh in and around Oklahoma City these days. Oh, it's beautiful. It's 94 degrees today. Oh, God. Hey, i got to ask you, did you end your career in Oklahoma City? Is that how you got there? <laughs> no. No, I um, ended my career uh, in uh, San Diego. I went out there as a player coach. Okay. 66, I mean, 67, 68. And, uh, but before, just before I went out to San Diego, I was playing with Houston and I, coming out of Chicago, I happened to bump into a beautiful hostess on Braniff <laughs> Airlines, and we started talking, and, uh, well, she's from Oklahoma, and we have now been married 50 years. Wow. And she's still beautiful, and is she still with Braniff Airlines? No, no, no. She's <laughs> retired. She's I'm enjoying kidding. life now. I'm <laughs> kidding. I don't think Braniff Airlines has been around no, since the mid-70s. But back then, they wore the uniforms and yep. the boots and yep. really something. Yeah. Well, you must have been a pretty handsome couple because I, one of the things that, that me, I had lost my dad in 1958. And, you know, a young kid at that age of six years old, you're looking for father figures and you were this dashing, handsome, slugging first baseman. You became kind of a father figure to me um, oh. here in Baltimore. Um, you play, you played a long time. You got stuck before free agency and the um, reserve clause and all that stuff. You got stuck with the Brooklyn Dodgers for an awfully long time, didn't you? Yeah, seven years. And that was because Gil Hodges had first base kind of on lockdown, didn't he, in Brooklyn? Right. I, I signed out of high school in San Francisco, 1952, and uh, they told me, well, it would take you about four years. It usually takes four years to get a shot in the big leagues. Because, you know, remember back then we had D, C, B, A, double A, triple A. Yeah. And uh, so it was fine. Well, they started me off in A ball. Uh, but told me I'd only be there 29 days, and then they'd ship me down to, like, Class C. Well, I stayed there all year, led the league in home runs, and hit 270 and drove in 100 runs. The next year I started in Mobile, and I was leading the league in home runs after 20-some-odd games. But then when the cutdowns came, uh, Wozniak, the manager, said, well, I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Norm Larker back, so you got to go back to Pueblo. 
So I spent two and A, two and double A, and three and triple A before I got a shot. Now, your shot, I see that you played briefly with Brooklyn in 1957, and then you got 34 at bats and 58 with the Dodgers. Were those call-ups due to injury or? Uh, no, end of the season, Stan. End of the season, okay. Yeah, yeah they brought me up in 57, and uh, I was sitting in my, in, uh, my locker room, and the P.B. Reese came up and said, hey, Diamond, you're playing today. I said, no, I just finished hitting with the Scrovinis. Right. And he said, no, 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 you're going to, you're hitting fifth. Or, and they were playing the Phillies, Robin Roberts. Right. And he was pitching. And uh, when I came up the second time up, I got safe on an air my first time. I came up my second time. It was one-to-one. And uh, three-two pitch, I hit the facing the upper deck in Ebbets Field for my first home run. I saw that you got you got one hit. You went one for seven in that first uh, little stint in the major leagues, and the one hit was a, a home run. Do you well, remember? That's what who, I mean, I, do you remember? I grew who up you, there, and all I got was thirty six times at bat. Right, and they started when I went them over to Baltimore at a look see. They said I was a cast off thirty six times in bat in seven years. Right, wait a minute, and I hit <laughs> over two hundred eight home runs in the minors. Do you remember who you hit that first home run off of in the major leagues? Yeah, Robin Roberts. Robin Roberts. Boy, he gave and up. He came, remember he came over to Baltimore? Sure. And somebody had made a, uh, a painting of him, and he gave it to me, and he put down below, he put, so you won't forget who you hit your first home run off of. That's funny, because Robin Roberts was known for giving up a lot of home runs, but like Jim Palmer, a lot of solo home runs. Right. He yeah. didn't walk. He didn't want to walk yet. And that's the thing I remembered. I was three and two was the pitch, and I I stepped out of the box, and I'm thinking, and I remember Snyder and him saying he won't walk if he can help it. So I just said I'm going. I'm looking fastball, come hella high water. If he throws me a curve, I'll go back to the dugout. <laughs> that's something else. So you know, it's funny. I always I knew you played for the Dodgers organization. I knew you were there a long time. But until today, I haven't really thought about placing you in the context. You played probably in the minor leagues with Roy Campanella, didn't you? Yeah. And I played, uh, well, the one year before, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jackie Robinson, he he retired just as I came up. I went to Japan with the, the Orioles. I mean, pardon me, Brooklyn. Right. We, 56, we went over there. And I led the team in everything. Buzzy Bavese said, the vice president says, now stay in shape. We're going to move Hodges to third right. and g- give you a good shot at first base. That never happened. That never happened. So, no, I'm so, sure Hodges said, forget it. I'm, I'm the best, for- I'm the first, best base- first baseman around. Yeah, Right. I'm not going over to third base. Right. <laughs> so now you, now you get traded. You get dealt to the Orioles, right? Uh, yes. And your first manager is Paul Richards? Yes. Uh, what did he tell you the first year there in spring training? Well, I came to spring training, and I came on what you call a look-see, 30 uh-huh. days. Yep. If I didn't do, if Richards didn't like what he saw in spring training or didn't want to take me to Baltimore, he just returned me to to the Dodgers and 25000 So I got there, and there was Walt Dropo, Bobby Boyd, John Powers, Boog Powell, and I over there at first base. Wow. Crowded field. Crowded yeah, field. Yeah, well, I, I, I wasn't worth at that time. Boog was only 18, just starting out. Mm-hmm. I figured a couple of years. You knew he, you could tell he was going to be a good for, a good ball player. I mean, you know, back then he was six, four, five. Yep. He weighed about 210 or 220. Mm. 
you know, but I mean, he just, he just had good hands. So I said, well, maybe two, three years, but there was Dropo who was rookie of the year in what, 59 or 58? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, John Powers played for Columbus, He but he was more of an outfielder, but Bobby Boyd was a fine first baseman yep. and a th- good hitter. But the problem was he didn't drive in any runs. And Richards said he wanted a power hitter. And you were you fit that bill pretty good. Well, I did in that spring training and everything. I was another Dick Stewart, old Iron Hands. Every time you threw me a ball, I dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the last day of spring training, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Paul it Richards? Like, yeah, I thought I'm not going to make the team, you know. And right. I, I go there and there's a thing saying, go see Paul. And I walked in the office to him, and he just looked at me and says, Son, you can't be as bad as you look. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I said, Well, Paul, I'm not much of a sprint. He said, You've hit 208 home runs down there in the minors. Right. And you can't get one out of the infield here. He said, I'm going to give you, you only got 36 times a bat in almost three years with the Dodgers. I'm going to give you 150 or more the first 27 days. If you hit, You'll stay. If not, I'm sending you back to the Dodgers. That's the best I can do for you. So that 30-day look-see was the was not just spring training. It included the thir- first 30 yes, days of yes. the big league season. Right. Yeah. How, how how did that that talk with Paul Richards, it seems like it must have somehow taken some pressure off of you. Well, it did because I said to myself, I got 27 days or 28 and he told me I was going to play against right-handers and Dropa was going to play against left-handers. So, you know, you had to... Yep. Uh, and I just said to myself, I, I knew that once the... I don't know what it was. When I played spring training, most of the time at the beginning of spring training, you faced the same guys you p- faced in AAA. Yep. You know, so you weren't really facing the, uh, the Whitey Fords and the Jim Bunnings. You were facing other the same guys you faced before. So... I just couldn't get myself mentally prepared for it because it's the same guys. But then once the bell rang, uh, now I'm going to face the good guys. You know, Romero, you know, uh, Pasquale and all those guys. And uh, I just started to hit. I was Everything started to fall into place. Now, not only did you hit in 1960, you showed yourself to be a pretty fancy guy with the glove at first base. One of the things I remember is you could start the three six three double play with anybody, and the stretch you had, I've still never seen anybody else stretch the way Jim Gentile stretched. I, a lot of times I watch the games, and these guys make the play at first base so close. Yep. Because they, they just stand there and catch it, and the guy might be one one stride away from first. Where, not that you have to go out and do the splits like I did once in a while, but at least reach out. Yep. Uh, the, the one first baseman that does it a lot is, is uh, Belt from San Francisco, he at least reaches out for the ball, which gives, you know, it's, him a step and a half to two steps. It's a, it's a big difference on all these close plays. You know, sure no is. question about it. Uh, Jim, the, uh, the game I remember most, and I'm guessing it was in 61. No, may, maybe a pinch later. What was the, the game in Minnesota? The back-to-back Grand Slam home runs. Do you remember that? And oh yeah, and who did? Yeah. You, and, and was it back-to-back innings or was it in the same? Yeah, first inning? and second innings. Okay, yes. who'd yeah. you hit them off of? Who'd you? Hit uh, them? The first one up, uh, Pete Ramos. Okay, 
I remember and Pedro it, Ramos, sure. Yeah, and the second one was off Paul Gill, the running back from Minnesota. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, the thing is, is uh, we got to a 0-2 pitch on on me, uh, Ramos did, and he threw me a high fastball, and I, I just happened to get up and hit it out over the center field fence. So now the next inning, the same three guys got on because the pitcher made, uh, Ramos made an error, and, and it brought in Gill, and the very first pitch he threw me, I hit over the right field fence. And those were both at the Metropolitan Stadium yes. there in Minnesota. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you know this. This is Here's a trivia question. Yeah. In 60, I hit a grand slam off Dick Hall. Okay. And in I hit five in 61. The I- same pitcher was a winning pitcher all six times. You're kidding me. And who no. was who would that have been? Milt? Estrada. Estrada. Chuck Estrada. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Boy, he had some great stuff, didn't he? Oh, boy. we I tell you, it was Steve Barber and him and... Uh, Jerry Pappas, Walker. Jerry Walker. Jerry Walker. And you had Fat Jack Fisher. Jack I mean, we Fisher. had some good young pitchers. If the Orioles had them today, they might be winning. They... <laughs> <laughs> I think they could come out, the ones that are still alive could come out and pitch better than some of what we've seen. We're talking. Oh, well, the guys are just having one of those years. uh, You know, but uh, the thing is, is, uh, they don't throw curveballs anymore. And when the the hitters face a guy that has a pretty good curve, they look terrible. Yeah. You, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Uh, You see guys swinging pitches that bounce on the plate because they're looking at good fastball to hit it. Uh, everybody wants to hit the home runs now because the ball's so live. Now, it's interesting you say that because I think tend to think of you as sort of an all-or-nothing hitter, but I went over the numbers this morning. I'm astounded you had an on-base percentage of nearly 370 for your career, including a couple seasons over 400, and your walks to strikeouts over a career uh, the length of yours, I think you walked – wait a minute. I think you walked – 475, bear with me, 415 is the walks, hold on, yep, and five, 545 strikeouts. That's nothing, I mean, in terms of the differential between strikeouts and walks. I mean, that's a good differential. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> uh, you know, I just, uh, I did swing kind of hard, but... Uh... Well, but you, just one of the, but you got to remember, though, Stan. Back when I played, no one, we didn't have hitting coaches. There weren't hitting coaches. We didn't have hitting coaches. All we had was a bullpen coach with with Harry Bikine, right? A first base coach, and maybe a, a third base coach, and that was it. There was nobody there that talked hitting. And all the years I played, I never had anybody talk to me about hitting except Al Vincent. Well, that is really fascinating. I, Jim, I, you know, I'm a pretty big baseball fan. I never yeah. knew that back in those days. No, I mean, unless somebody, maybe, you know, a lot of times when you weren't hitting, you might ask the guy hitting behind you, whether yeah. it was Brooks or Tran, hey, am I pulling my head off? Right. You know, and they go, and oh, it looked like you were looking at the pitch. But uh, in 1956, I was on the Fort Worth, uh, 55, I was on the Fort Worth roster. And Al Vincent didn't like the way I swung the bat, come right. around and hit my back once in yep, a while. Yep. So he took me to the batting cages and sat me on the bat. I had to sit on a bat and just swing. You know, he, mm-hmm. he, he was working the uh, batting machine and swing and stop at the top, swing and stop. So we did that all lunch hour. 
Now we go play a game. I guess I don't remember who we played that spring training. And the first time up, my first swing, I came all the way around, hit my back. Right. But I ended up getting two hits, so I didn't think any of it. So the next day, I go down to the clubhouse. I go into the Fort Worth part of the clubhouse, and my stuff is gone. I go, I asked the clubhouse guy, where's my uniform, my spike? Right. Oh, you got traded to Mobile. Al Vincent got rid of me. Didn't like the way I swung. He got rid of me. Sent me over to double-A Mobile. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We're talking with Jim Gentile. Jim, uh, the season of 1961 was one for the record books. A lot of people. Um, we got to put the con- proper context in there. It was the first year of the expansion uh, where the Washington Senators and the – who else came into being? In- Minnesota, was Minnesota. L.A., L.A. L.A., the Angels. L.A., was it? Yep, it was L.A. Angels and the – and the Washington Senators came back in, right. so there were two new expansion teams that did water down the pitching. There's no question about it. But what a season you had! Okay, okay, I got a question for you. Yes, you know the six guys that hit over 40 home runs in that season. Yeah. Well, it was it was you, Maris, Mantle, you, Calavito, Cash, right. myself. Yep. And Killebrew. All right. Okay. Those are the six guys that hit 40 and above. All right. How all, how many guys hit 30? Gosh, I, uh, I'm guessing the way you're asking that, maybe two. How many should have been hitting 30 if, if it was so easy to hit home runs it back then? should have been like 20, right? Okay. Well, your answer is zero. Zero, 30 to 40 home runs. Right. Okay. The, only, the next hitter was Bob Allison hit 28. Wow, that is that is interesting. So it was and 60. the ERA, a guy wrote me yep. in sixty was four point oh something, and in sixty one it was four point oh six. Interesting. Interesting. Yes, everybody thought because the and, and uh, I hate to say this, but I have a gentleman in in Baltimore that could tell you everything I did, how right. many times I picked my nose, pulled my ear, <laughs> whatever. He calls me every once in a while. Yep. He sent me a list, and I wish I would have kept it. Right. Of the guys I hit home runs off of. Uh huh. And only eight were guys who did not pitch in the big leagues the mean, year before. You mean the year before? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So but, I mean, you know, I know it's expansion, but I don't. I mean, L.A. had Duran. They had uh, Gerba. Kenny McBride. Guys, Kenny McBride. Guys, right. Yeah. So not everybody was. Uh, no, it was tr- there, there were no bums around then. And plus, yeah. plus the population was. The population of baseball players was certainly big enough to withstand two teams oh, yeah. in that game. And another thing I want to ask you with, with the lively ball yep. nowadays yep. and the maple bats, how come 80, 80 to 85% of the home runs hit in the front row? <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. But you sound, you sound like you still watch quite a bit of baseball. How, how every much? once in a while, because uh, because I uh, every time you you watch the highlights on Major League Baseball, right. every time they take a swing, there's one out of the park. I watched the game a month ago when Boston hit eight of them in one game. Hey Jim, before we let you go today, sure. I got to hear the story because you were such a special player to me, and there were lots of kids my age and a little older that you were special to. How did it come about? I think you were second behind Amici's, but there was a you got involved in the fast food business early on, like probably about 62, 63. 
yeah. with a series. I think there were three locations of Diamond Gems, weren't yeah. there? Uh, the Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's right. So who's, yeah. who, who approached you? Was it the Kentucky Fried Chicken people? No, there's a gentleman. Oh God, it's been so many years. Uh, let's say his name was Joe. He had a he had a drive-in restaurant, right? And he had it where there was a train. He'd put the people's order that were in the booth, okay. on a train and would bring your their food to their booth. Okay. So he came to me one day with a bucket of chicken and said, "Hey, I got a bucket of chicken. I really like to push it. Uh, right now, it's just one of my items, and I had it, and I thought." Great. So we went into business and opened a restaurant out on Reistertown Road. Right. And we were the first ones to have telephones at your booth, and you call in to order, and then when it's ready, it rang, and you went and got it. Well, and then we uh, we opened two uh, uh, carryouts. Well, the colonel came, and he told me, he said, I want my chicken by itself. Okay. Well, Amici... And Marchetti came out to the my restaurant, Reistertown Road. Right. And it, unbeknownst to me, my partner had signed a five-year deal with uh, the colonel. Okay. And he already had used three years, so only had two left. But he, and when the second year was up, the colonel said, I got to split it with Amici and Marchetti. So you were out. You were Well, they a, had so many places. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know they were where all the way up to Delaware. I think they said, uh, yep. and uh, I had no room to open up anywhere, so I just sold out to them. That's wild, and that was about what sixty three, sixty. Yeah, yeah. Started at the end of the sixty three season because I got traded to Kansas City, and I figured, well, I'm yeah. Michael, so. That's that's fa- fascinating to go back in time with you. Uh, how important is it to you? to be remembered the way I remember you and others in Baltimore. I know you get to, to see that and feel that each year when you go down to fantasy camp. Uh, how special is it, Jim? Uh, it really is because when you're playing, you don't realize it. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have what they have nowadays, whether on TV all the time. You don't realize it. But, but even today, I get 10, 15, 20 letters a day. I tell my wife it's because I'm 84 and they're afraid I'm going to die too quick. And they go, <laughs> my other guy. But and when I come back to Baltimore and do the sweets, yep. you know, sign on, people treat me wonderful. I'm surprised that 40, 50 years later they yeah. they still remember you. Still, it's, they still do. They still it, do. It's amazing, and I love it. And uh, Stan, I can't thank you enough for for all the things you said about me. Uh, that that yeah. really because I never heard what people thought of me. You know? well, 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 as a kid, you were you were literally larger than life. You were handsome. You played with a great deal of passion uh, and pizzazz. You know, I mean, those stretches. Uh, but it, hearing you today talk about the practicality of the stretch, that's a lost – that's a little bit of a lost art that nobody thinks of that is if, hey, if you reach out for the ball at first base, you gain a second there. You oh, know? yeah, you gain a step, step and a half. And especially if you got guys who can really run, you know, and some of the guys do it when he gets to be a close. But I watch guys, and uh, even the guy uh, Ruzo, I really think he's an outstanding player. Yeah. But a lot of times he just he's standing straight up and catches the ball by a half stride. I, I just don't see that. I mean, why make it close when you can just stretch out a little bit? You don't do the split. Just put your arm out, and that's a good step and a half. Got to ask you real quick before we let you go. Two players. One you. 
one you played with for a couple of years, you really got to know. How special a player was Brooks Robinson? Uh, I, I want to tell you something. If I had his personality, I'd be playing today. <laughs> Honest to God, he'd go for 4, 0 for 8, right. get three hits the same way, good or bad. Where if I went 0 for 4, I sat in my locker and thought about it. And but he he just one of the nicest guys. Two of the guys on the team that were my dear friends were Brooks and Gus Triandis. Yep. And Brooks, thank God, Brooks is still with us. Doing, oh God! Doing I, well. Every time I come there, I call him. And uh, the last time I was there, we went out to lunch, and it was what a great time just to talk about things. You know, and I do want to ask you about this other player, but I've got to get to the get okay. to it. If you had. A young hitter today that was was had the temperament that you had. Is there anything you could have been told or that you could impart on a young hitter who's going through a frustrating time to not beat themselves up, to not overthink, or is it just it's part of certain people's DNA? Well, if I could talk to someone like that, I'd say, look, you got 162 games. Yep, good. You're going to have good days, bad days. After two or three years, you know what you're aver- what you're going to hit. Right. You know how many home runs you should hit, good or bad. And uh, I don't know. I just uh, I was too much of a perfectionist. And what uh, for seven years I was told nobody wanted me. Right. And and then I'd be told to get to the big leagues, you got to run better, throw better, hit better than the next guy. And every time you'd ask, I had forty forty home runs in Double A, and I'd ask Buzzy. How come you don't sell? Nobody wants you. Nobody said, wants you. After yeah. hitting 40 home runs, nobody, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, so when I got here, I said to myself, I got to do the better better than anybody else, otherwise I won't be here. And uh, I guess that's why a lot of times I uh, sulked. Yep. But, but that was me. I mean, uh, I didn't hurt anybody. I've never had any trouble with nope. teammates. Nope, nope. You know, just that uh, the the, the the coaches and stuff start thinking you're more of a uh, worry about yourself than the team, they would say. And I said, well, when I'm on the field, I'm playing for the team. But when I'm finished, I'm thinking, what can I do to improve? But they they don't listen to you. So Last, last question for you. Sure. Uh, how much time did you spend as a teammate or, or, or with Sandy Koufax? Well, you know, I, I met Sandy back when he came out of college. And you do know he uh, when he first joined uh, the Brooklyn, he couldn't keep the ball in the batting cage. That's what I heard. Yep. Oh my God! Every day, Joe Baker would take him down to the string area and throw, throw, throw. And the first couple of years or so, he was up there. They just used him as a mop up. Yep. And stuff like that. Then all of a sudden, man, he got that twelve to six curveball. Goodbye. Was he was Steve Dalkowski potentially as talented as Koufax arm wise? Well, he had the fastball. He threw harder than anybody I ever saw. Yeah, for a man his size, yeah. you know. Yeah, he was. He could really throw. But again, there's a guy that didn't get a shot in the big leagues until late, and by the time he got there, his arm was gone. Yeah, yeah. All right, Diamond. I'm going to get you back on sometime in a couple months. All right. Okay, and if I get back to Baltimore, I'll, I'll be sure to call you. All right. Thank you, Diamond. Really uh, appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Give my best All to right. your wife Bye-bye. and family. All right. There's Diamond Jim Gentile, one of my favorites, and uh, the one that got away from me. 
And that was uh, an interview we did back in June with uh, Diamond Jim Gentile. You know, you're a little older than I am, obviously, uh, but... Why is it obvious? uh, Because of the way we talk and and the eras and things of that nature. But for you, the one that got away was Diamond Jim Gentile. Yeah. For me, the one that got away was Frank Robinson. After, from 66 to 71, four World Series... Heart and soul of that team. Brooks even says it. You right. know, we, we were good, right. but we became a championship team once Frank no got question here. question And then, you know, in the offseason or shortly after the season in 71 and the World Series lost to the Pirates, yeah. uh, he was gone to the Dodgers. Yeah, they didn't get to another World no, Series no, after no. he left until 1979. Until, right, until when Steve yeah. Nicosia. <laughs> That's right. So <laughs> this, this, this all kind of came full circle yeah. this morning. <laughs> it sure did. Sure did. Um, anyway, what do you got going on this weekend? Well, we got uh, the Wizards and Raptors tonight. You got the Ravens and the Saints tomorrow. And then uh, uh, some miscellaneous stuff going on through the week. Uh, well, I didn't, both, wanna, both I didn't the, want your whole personal life. Well, no, uh, but, but just uh, the, per, uh, you know, the, the Wizards, uh, after this game, they head on a West Coast trip. And the Capitals are out of town for a week. So, Is there a chance you might be seeing Miss Everett? Uh, outside of uh, outside of the studio well, this week, possible, but I didn't think you want to take it public <laughs> like this. But uh, you know, look at her. Look at that. Are you excited you about know, uh, look at that face? I just want free look, pizza. Look uh, how <laughs> look at that face. If if the camera is still on, you know, no, you know, not she, on me. Come on, you know she she's she's very open, just the way Manny Machado was. Like, right. uh, I'm not Johnny Hustle. She's basically saying, I am Brittany Hustle. That's right. I just want pizza. I just want pizza, but her face is as red as can be. Yes, yes. <laughs> hey, Britt, thank you. And it's you. not sunburn. No, that's right. <laughs> thank you. You here next week? Yes. You oh, wait. I am not here next week, actually. Really? Yeah, Kyle will be here. Oh, really? I'm oh. going to Delaware to film Towson football. Oh, good for you. Yeah. What time's that game? Uh, 3.30. I might go. I like to go up to that game. I'm going to go home today before I go to the uh, Wizards game tonight, right? Uh, and start to uh, watch Penn State in Indiana. That game is in Bloomington. Now Penn State should kick their ass. Well, you would think you so. would think, but you know, certain things happen sometimes in the Big Ten on the road. Maryland plays that's what Iowa, be and for. that's what we'll be praying for. All right. uh, Maryland plays Iowa today, uh, so that's a tough one uh, for the Terps on the road because that's always a tough place to play. All right. Well, many thanks for uh, tuning in. Oh, we've got a we've got to get a break in. Uh, let's uh, t- let's take that time out and. Uh, Let's tell folks again real quick about the Costas Inn. Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. Uh, great specials throughout the uh, week. Uh, it's Monday, more, it's Monday more, is it's what's mo- Monday? Right. Sports Monday, but it's more. No, what's Monday? I said, oh, what's Monday? What's well, every day is a sports day. But uh, the, there's Crab Cake Monday. There's Rib Night on Tuesday. Steak Night on Wednesday. Lobster on Thursday. And it's more than just a crab house. It's great food. The menu is fabulous. Go out, see Nick and Pete. Tell them Stan the Fan and Craig Heist sent you, and uh, they will treat you like family. The Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. All right. Time to tell you a little bit about uh, Team Up for One. 
join team up for one and help children with challenges by attending third annual Sports Leadership Awards Bull and Oyster Roast on October 30th. The night will honor UMBC men's basketball coach Ryan Odom and raise money to help children with disabilities. For information and tickets to the Team Up for One Sports Leadership Awards at Valley Mansion, go to teamupforone.org. That's teamupforone.org. And Press Box Project Game Day is back at halftime and post game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Fa- Pressbox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, post game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. Pressbox's Project Game Day, Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports. Join Team Up for One and help children with challenges by attending the third annual Sports Leadership Awards Bull and Oyster Roast on October 30th. The night will honor UMBC men's basketball coach Ryan Odom and raise money to help children with disabilities. For information and tickets to the Team Up for One Sports Leadership Awards at Valley Mansion, go to teamupforone.org. That's teamupfor1.org. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg takes a look at Baltimore basketball legend Juan Dixon, now in his second year of trying to resurrect the basketball program at Coppin State. Plus, we celebrate the 35th anniversary of the 1983 Orioles, honoring the unlikely heroes that helped bring Baltimore its last World Series title. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Oriole podcasts around look forward to listening every week these guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen they are a great listen if you want orioles talk even during the off season if you're lucky they might even talk about the ravens josh matt and bert are a must listen every week check section 336 out for yourself on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts what's up it's kz this season you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at weekly click the link pinned at the top of my twitter page that's at fans fantasy and pick any five games against the spread every week it's free to sign up and someone wins a 25 dollars royal farms gift card every single week plus we'll have great season-long prizes as well and check out all the other awesome games at loop league where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time join our picks league now at loop league.com 
to say goodbye on this edition of the Battle Round. Many thanks to Craig Heisch. Many thanks to Brittany Everett. Towson, what do they have? To, are they playing today or are they off this week? They are playing Albany at Albany what today. What time does that game start? Uh, tell you in a second. 3.30 3 3.30. Well. Is that on TV around these parts? Um, CBS Sports Radio. Uh, it's it, not TV, yeah, CBS Sports Radio. Yeah, it does say Sports live Radio. video, but okay. I think just through Albany. All right. They're playing Albany and then next week at Delaware. Yes. Before coming home on November 3rd and the 17th. I know on the 17th they play James Mason. Who do they play on the 3rd? Maine. Maine. Yeah, that'll, Maine. those James will all Mason. be good games. James, James Madison. James Madison. JMU. Yeah. Did, James I say, James did I say, did I say, did what I, you said. Did I say, <laughs> yeah. James Mason, the great actor. <laughs> great actor, James Mason. He's coming down to play the, the Towson Tigers. Should be some match. 115 year old James Mason. Anyway, James Madison University. Yes. William and Mary. Yes. And James Madison played a few years back in the playoffs. Okay, and I was working at WTOP at the time, and our producer Mike Jakaitis <laughs> is a JMU grad. Uh huh. My wife is a William and Mary grad. Uh oh. And I was instructed by Mr. Jakaitis, as the producer at the desk in the newsroom, to play the JMU fight song. Needless to say, I didn't get in the house that night. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Good to see so, you. <laughs> yeah, another well thought out plan. <laughs> Have you ever made it back in the nah, house? I don't think so. No. Doghouse, yeah, yeah, several dog times. House, right. Yeah, but no. all right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Tomorrow, don't forget Project Game Day at halftime with Glenn Clark. After the game with Sarita Hubbard, and before the game from ten to twelve, Ken Zalis and Sarita Hubbard with the fantasy and reality football show. Who do you like tomorrow? <laughs> I like the Ravens all week long, and I think I came to my senses. I think I like, well, I think I like New Orleans. The one thing this will prove and and show is just how good Ravens that Ravens defense. defense is. Because you know, but again, keep in mind, Drew Brees and that offense a little different when you get them outside of that dome. It, true. How about the Redskins in Dallas? Redskins in Dallas. To me, the key to that game is you got to keep uh, Alex Smith upright and. Dallas has such a good pass rush up front. Could be a tough thing to do, and your phone is ringing. So, anyway. have I heard? Have I heard something recently or read something? Has Dallas has won all the games in Washington since like 2012 or something 13? like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, it, I that, like that, Dallas. Pl- that place ain't RFK. It's no, never been a home field advantage. No, it really hasn't. All right, Britt, have a great week ahead, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, everybody. Have a great weekend.